3: In
4: three, two, one.
0: When do we take control of our lives and our destiny.
4: We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now what this
5: is, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the
2: one for cork and ready to talk. Can we
4: just talk? Call 1850-715-996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
4: Email opinion at ninety six.
2: The lines are live. Let's
4: kickstart the conversation.
2: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
4: On Cork's 96FM. Yep, Tuesday, once you get
6: past Monday, you kind of have the back broken on the week, which is grand. Got off the bus yesterday morning uh, coming into town. Uh, Got off the bus on the Grand Parade. I saw these new stickers on the ground. Now, we're used to seeing stickers on the ground now, of course, to have this stand two metres and keep your distance kind of thing on them. They're all over the place. They're everywhere now. I'm sure it's almost in the planning permission now for something new that you have to put stickers on the ground and that's, look how it's going to be for a wee while longer. But these are unusual ones. They said something about moss and they said something about air pollution. To be honest, I didn't stop to read them. I was wandering up here. But I, I noticed that they were different. And I said, what's that about? And I'll surely hear more. And sure we did. Because we hear now that the council is putting in robot trees. Now, it's a strange name for them. They're not new. They weren't invented here. They've been used in Germany. They're, they're effectively a huge wall of moss and there'll be, I think, five of them uh, Grand Parade and French Church Street And the plan is that they will filter and purify the air around them It's a new idea to Cork, but not a new idea globally uh, Because they're, they're big news in Germany, particularly in Berlin And have been for a number of years I think they're in Glasgow as well And some of them gone into London David Joyce is Director of Services with Cork City Council. David, on Twitter yesterday when the pictures of these started to go up, a lot of people said, why don't you just grow some trees or plant some trees? Why not? Good morning.
7: Morning, PJ. Um, I suppose I'd I'd ask the question, why not do both? Um, Cork City Council has a very, very extensive tree planting program we've planted hundreds of trees over the last number of years and in 2021 alone we plan to plant 1300 trees across the city so we are doing both i think and it is important that we do both city trees don't replace real trees and real trees don't replace city trees
6: the other thing i would have thought of is you can put these things in in a matter of a few months trees take years to reach maturity
7: they, they do, and, and, but they actually complement one another. So real trees, through their stoma in their leaves, take in carbon dioxide, process that, sequester the carbon into their tree trunks, and release the oxygen back into the atmosphere. Yeah. They actually suffer from particulate uh, pollution. So what the city trees do is something completely different. Mm. They take the particulate matter from the atmosphere. So they pass the air over the fronds of the moss, the moss fronds capture the, the particulate matter and in effect, for want of a better word, eat the matter. Filter so it out. It,
8: yeah.
7: Yes. So 80% yeah. of the particulate matter is taken out of the air in that vicinity. Is it because, but,
6: David, the stuff that's in these um, robot trees, for want of a better word, are mossy walls, which sounds to me like a fella I used to drink with up the north side one time, but <laughs> ma- mossy walls, they actually... They actually clean the air so that the trees function better.
7: They do and we 'll be able to prove this because these are intelligent smart trees it's part of it 's also links into our smart cities initiatives and into our bigger air quality strategy it 's one part of the bigger jigsaw there's no one solution fits all these are all individual interventions we 're taking some like these are site specific and others like the Corp. Metropolitan area transit strategy are citywide so we're taking multiple approaches to improve air quality across the city.
6: Now, I looked at some pictures from Germany and they're in... Actually, the, the frames that you see, the frames aren't really telling the full story, because when they're in position and they're fully bloomed, as it were, and they've got their seats in them, and they're very pretty.
7: They are, and they're going to be a fabulous focal point for those two locations. And um, while we were down installing the first uh, set uh, on Patrick Street yesterday, it was amazing the number of people who were coming out, having their morning coffee or having their lunch, sitting on the various pieces of infrastructure, seating infrastructure on Patrick Street. So these would be a fabulous focal point for people who want to go out and enjoy. Or if you're around town and you want to take a rest for five minutes, there'll be a very pleasant atmosphere to sit in. The other thing they do is they are a key focal point for our information dissemination. As I said this Thursday we're launching an air quality strategy for the city and these um, sites have got live interactive 40 inch television screens which will allow us to disseminate information about our real time air quality network and all the other initiatives that we're undertaking in the biodiversity sphere etc across the city so they act as a key information point as well for citizens and communities across the city to understand what we are doing in these various different spheres across the city. So
6: how much do they cost, and who's paying for them?
7: Okay, so the initial cost, including the purchase, installation, and maintenance for 12 months is €350,000. Each, Uh, or for all of them? No, in total, for the whole lot of them, and then maintenance per year is is a minimal amount after that. So this is a, a large upfront cost to get them constructed, transported, installed, and, and maintained for 12 months. But after that, then they're basically almost cost-free, very, very cost-effective to run. And it is not Cork City Council funding was used to do this. There was a project um, uh, advertised. We applied within the parameters of that project, and we were successful in getting funding. So this is additional funding on top of all of the local funding that Cork City Council is investing in the whole area of biodiversity and uh, climate action. So this is additional funding to Cork mm. City Council. Is it from Green
6: City Solutions these have come, David?
7: Yes, there's a German company that was supported by the European Union funding, actually, as it happens, to develop these. Uh, And as you said earlier in in, in the discussion, these are right across Europe, not just Germany, but right across Europe, these are being installed by local authorities. deal with site-specific issues. They're not going to solve the air quality strategy issues across the entire city, Mm. but they are going to improve the air quality at the specific sites that they're installed.
6: Yeah, some critics would say that's like putting an air conditioning unit in the open air, but it's not, is it?
7: No, it's not. I mean, it's important that we take action. We need to look at all the different options that are available to us. and Some options that we look at, for example, trying to encourage people to move from their private cars, one-person car, into public transport through the investment that's going to happen through the Cork Metropolitan Area Transit Strategy. That is going to have a long-term effect, but we need to do things now. We need to have uh, short-term, intermediate actions that presently will improve the air quality across the city, and this is one of them. And this is a very important one. As I said, it fits nicely in with a lot of the other initiatives that we have across the city. Um, And it's something that we're very, very proud of. It is going to be a very, very successful project. Across the city, it is the, these two locations are going to benefit multifold, not just in relation to air quality, but as I said, in relation to each of the two locations, has seeking now for up to 20 additional people. Yeah. And you also have information, and also, very importantly, I think you know, m- my conversation this morning is a is an example of it. It started the conversation and it's encouraging people to talk about air quality yeah. and, and getting the concept of air quality up in front of people's minds is something that we all have to be very cognizant of. And we all have a part to play in reducing air quality. Another Uh, thing that uh,
6: would help the air quality of the city, David, would be just to pedestrianise the whole damn
7: lot of it. And again, I mean, Cork City Council was very, very innovative, and we have pedestrianised permanently 17 streets across the city centre. And if you take a look at where we have located these city trees, they are right on the edge of these clean air zones that we have created in effect, these 17 streets bounded by uh, Grand Parade South Mall and Patrick Street so right at the edge of the zone where you have no longer have any vehicles for the vast vast majority of the day except for deliveries early in the morning you now have other interventions trying to improve locally on a site specific basis the air quality at locations at the edge of this um, best zone
6: And this pilot project of four of them is it Could it be added to?
7: Obviously, what we want to do over the next 12 months, and this is very, very important, these uh, city trees are packed with sensors and we're going to be monitoring these sensors over the next 12 months to understand exactly the quantum of impact these sensors, or sorry, that these city trees have had on the air quality and based on that we will then evaluate whether or not we're going to extend these out into other areas in the future.
6: Now you said that you're involved in a major tree planting program as well, but you you got criticised last week for cutting down old trees on Centre Park Road. What
9: was
7: that about? Those trees were dead. Uh, basically, we, we regularly go out and we survey trees across the city at specific locations or if we get um, information from members of the public uh, or other sources about the quality of trees, etc., um, we will go out and we'll investigate. We have not removed any um, viable trees from Central Park Road. Those trees were dead, so those trees were removed. Yeah. No. Dead trees over time can cause public safety yeah. dangers as limbs might come off, etc.,
6: if you look at other countries and you, there's a, an example from Glasgow and an example from Amsterdam that there's a lot of money spent on these but the effect is minimal after a period of time
7: You know we've, we, we have looked at all the various different studies um, and some of those studies were conducted on earlier versions prototypes of these trees and the version we're using is the latest version that is available and some of those studies are 3-4 years old as I said, they were based on prototypes. We are confident that we have looked at the science behind this. We have reviewed the scientific data that has been produced, and we're confident these will have an impact. But I suppose that is why it is important for Cork City Council to undertake this 12-month evaluation, whereby we would be able to prove at the end of that the significant impact they have had in these locations. Yeah. So we'll be able to provide empirical evidence that these have been successful in yeah. Cork. How
6: come it all happened so quickly? As I said, I got off the bus yesterday morning, saw a strange kind of sticker on the on the floor and, and, and then we've got this. None, nobody knew this was going to happen.
7: Well I suppose we did announce it last year late last year as part of our initiatives and that their their delivery was delayed because of, of COVID um, and the, the travel restrictions that were in place but as soon as those were lifted we put in place the mechanisms to get them delivered to Ireland and installed.
6: Alright David uh, thank you for that, that's David Joyce Director of Services with Cork City Council let's get an ec- for expert view on just how effective these things might be because some places have put them in and then realised actually they cost a lot of money and didn't do a whole lot for us so let's, let's check out what they might do for us next.
8: Can
6: we just talk? The opinion line
2: on Corks 96 FM. With
4: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You guys ready? Watch out! Big Drive
2: Home, weekdays from 4.
4: On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Join me weekdays on the Big Drive Home, where it's go big and go home. The biggest tunes, the biggest prizes and catching up with the biggest stars too. I was on a bit of a date with a girl, you know, some lad came up in a van beside us and he just said, like, are you Shane and it, Oh, It made me look unbelievable. Like. For all the latest Cork news, entertainment and traffic updates, I'll talk to you weekdays from 4.
2: The Big Drive Home.
4: Let's business with Ford Lease. Hustle free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out
2: more. The big drive home. On Cork's 96 FM. Cork's 96 FM.
6: Rob says, please tell me these things won't have advertising billboards on them. That's mental. They do have, well, they have a 40 inch screen in each of them. So presumably, if the council wants to sell ads, they can sell ads and put them up on the screen. Just a thought. They could also show an match or two or am I fantasizing entirely but they have screens on them so they could be they haven't said they have any plans but they could be used. Kevin says a housing crisis, an A&E crisis retrofitting of nothing but 1.5 million quid on five filters I can't, I'm sorry I can't, well it's 350 for all of them. Okay, 350 grand which is still a lot of money but paid for by central government not paid for by council government or oh, council Bonnie. Cola says schools are back in September, they're they all being driven to school. That causes pollution. There should be a similar thing to park and ride, but for schools where kids are dropped outside the city and the buses, get them there. These are were used in Glasgow, but not for long. Uh, they're very popular in Berlin, and to be fair, looking if you look at the pictures of them and see one of them that's fully grown, as it were, they're quite pretty. But nice to look at and whether they're worth the money are two different things. Professor John Wenger is a friend of ours on the Opinion Line here from the Department of Physical and Environmental Chemistry at UCC. John, are they worth the money? Good morning.
0: Good morning, PJ. This is crazy, a bit of a stir, isn't it?
6: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> are they worth the money? Uh, the short answer to that is no. Um, uh, you know, I've actually looked into this and I found a very recent study in the Italian city of Modena. It was only published in the last few months, actually. Um, So in in Modena, they installed these city trees a few years ago, and a research group, very similar to ours in UCC, performed some measurements, okay? And what they did, they looked at the impact in an area 10 by 20 metres around the unit, okay? So right in the immediate environment. And what they found was this. When air was flowing naturally around the moss wall, the reduction in pollution, and we're talking about two key pollutants here, right? Uh, which is particulate matter, which are very tiny invisible dust particles in the air which cause health effects, and nitrogen dioxide from diesel emissions and so on, the removal of those was actually less than 1%. So that was when it was just in mm. kind of passive mode, just yeah. standing there doing nothing. Wasn't that
6: a prototype model though, John?
0: It may well have been, 2017, 2018, that could, could be true. Um, but what I found was turned on to force air through the moss wall, in other words, it was acting like a it was sucking air through it, then there was an effect. Uh, the effect on PM10, as we call it, was to remove anywhere between 1% and 15% in that small area. So the key thing here is that they can work, but not very well, and only over a very limited area. So they could only really be used to address a very uh, hot, a pollution hotspot, really. Um, they won't really have an effect on the air quality in the city overall.
6: Now, you could see where they would be of use or maybe you could or not, I don't know, along Patrick Street, which is a bus corridor and a busy one. And that whole centre island there is a busy bus corridor and, let's face it, buses are dirty vehicles. It could be of use there, could it not?
0: It could. I think if you were to sit um, on the bench right under those um, units for for a while, I think you would would experience cleaner air than if you were a few hundred metres down the road. So, so that is true. But overall, I mean, the question is, is it worth this investment uh, to have a very minimal effect? You know, I, d- I did the calculations, right? There's quite some claims on the website for the city trees. They claim to remove 3,500 metres cubed of air per hour. That sounds a lot, right? But when you scale that up to city size, it's virtually nothing. If you look at a kilometre by a kilometre, you you're actually only you're actually only going to process... of the air. So it's just a very, very local effect.
6: Literally a drop in the ocean.
0: It is, to to be honest. Um, It's a drop in the ocean. Now, the only positive thing I can hope is that it can raise awareness of the importance of clean air for our health.
6: Now, Um, what might be useful is people staying in that one spot in the city, maybe eating lunch there, walking around there, you know, generally spending their time in, in those parts of the city. They get benefit.
0: That's a good example of how it could be used. I, I, I think I think that's true. I mean, but many would argue why not create a nice park environment which is away from traffic and you may get a very similar effect. Um, so you know, I, I think there are probably better ways to have to create spaces with cleaner air mm. and lots of people have been talking about planting more trees now actually it's not as simple as that trees don't automatically suck up air pollutants you know they can have an effect uh, but it does depend on the type of tree does depend on how close they are to the pollution source and so on it's not straightforward obviously more trees is generally a good idea anyway because they do remove co2 and they give a pleasant environment for all of us i think we should plant more trees but the real way to stop air pollution is to reduce emissions, is to drive less, walk, cycle more, have better public transport, stop burning solid fuels in the winter. You know, that's that's what we have to do, ultimately.
6: Yeah, there's one of these near Bishop Lucy Park. Um, Like, does a park like that, and you'll know it well, obviously. Does does that have an effect on the air, a park like Bishop Lucy Park?
0: I think there's not enough greenery there, to to be honest, uh, PJ. I think that, you know, I've looked at a few studies, and there's great... Uh, talk about regreening Paris, but they're talking about having like almost like an urban forest. Yeah,
8: and,
0: and I think when you go to that scale, you do have a measurable impact on the air quality in the city. Yeah.
6: The little, little garden of remembrance down the road, negligible effect, I would imagine.
0: You need a much bigger, widespread deployment of um, planting of trees really to have that impact. Um, so, so, so I think I think urban forests are being talked about in a lot of ways, they're like an urban retreat, if you like. A place to get away from it all, a bit like a, a central park, wouldn't be great, you know. Um, um, so, so, these sorts of environments, I think, are what we need in our urban uh, cities, and you know, because they do create an opportunity to escape from that the traffic yeah. and the noise and the pollution and and even the heat during the summer. You know, people were seeking the shelter of trees, you know, the shade really, because um, you know it can get hot even <laughs> those last few weeks. You know,
6: yeah, yeah, we, we, we don't want to be knocking ideas but at the same time what we we'll to do is you're, you're the expert in this stuff and what you're saying look, €350,000 it doesn't sound like a whole pile of money and it's not coming out of the city's budget but at the end of the day you reckon the benefit won't be won't be that great at all?
0: No, I, I don't think so and it's a bit of a shame because in fact it detracts from the very good work that Cork City Council had been doing on air quality as you know and I've been talking to you before we have worked, our research team in UC has worked with the City Council very successfully to develop uh, new uh, low-cost margin networks, the first in Ireland. And, and there are also other projects that we're working on with them, including looking at air quality around schools and so on. So there is good work that is going on in the Cork City Council, but fortunately this isn't... Um,
1: Th- this isn't
6: part of it. OK, all right. Thanks for being with us. As always, Professor John Wenger from the Department of Physical and Environmental Chemistry at UCC, the Crack Lab, as we call it. No, nothing to do with breaking bad. It's an ongoing joke. John gets it. All right. Be so careful now about explaining, Anthony, uh, that you... Go on. So, and no, to be honest, these things are going to be very, they will be very pretty when they're set up. And they look lovely. And the seats and the screen and the moss, it's very, very pretty and very nice. And they're loaded with sensors and they'll be taking all the information and collating all the figures and doing all that. And they'll compile a report. And I'm sure the report at the end of the day would probably say they had a benefit. But in terms of someone who actually does this for a living, like Professor John Wenger, well, yeah, they have a benefit. They have a small benefit. Are they worth the money? Hmm... 1850
8: 715 Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line on
6: Corks 96 FM.
2: With
4: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G Oldies and Irish on Corks 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, big, big show, 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 radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Is your business ready and able, but thwarted by internet that's a little... unreliable? Now you can take your business to the next level with Vodafone Gigabit Broadband because our reliable broadband with 4G backup and walkout working installation guaranteed is now available to even more businesses across Cork so you can focus on what matters most. Visit your local Vodafone store to check the broadband speed and availability for your business Vodafone. Together we can.
9: What a time to turn 17
1: months in your prime on pause No face-to-face, let alone the shift. And don't even start on the leaving. Everything upturned, hard lessons learned. But sit and dwell? Never. Go harder than ever. All ready to make up for lost time. Staying focused, staying sharp, standing together. A united front for the future, however it plays out.
6: Times like these teach you everything you need to know about yourself. The
1: Electric Ireland GAA Minor Championships. This is major. Can we
8: just
2: talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now,
4: 1850 715 996.
6: On Courts 96 FM. Uh, why don't the council tackle the outdoor heating systems you see in town? An indoor building is not allowed to be heated under regulations unless it's possible to conserve heat. You can't heat a room with permanently open windows, for example. Yet the Corpo are allowing all these outside heaters and they're surely bringing down air quality and creating CO2. Oh, you mean all of these patio heaters and stuff that are there because of the outdoor dining just to make the place warm for people. I see where Richard down at Idaho, and they're doing... Great work, great business with the outdoor regulations. Um, They've said they'll never put one in. Because why would you create pollution just so people can eat outside? But they are out there. A lot of heaters around town. And that caller saying, why don't the council do something to to cut down on that? surely bringing down the air quality. Paul says, PJ, when the council are so helpful with their city trees, is this going to... Why, why are they so helpful? Isn't this going to be like banning cars from Patrick Street? They never did it. Yeah. Well, they tried, but they never did it. <laughs> Most people just ignored it. I, I heard recently that the Pana ban is being enforced a bit more rigidly now. But I, I don't be in Patrick Street at that time of the day, so I don't know. But I did hear they were enforcing it a bit more, a bit more strictly. Sorry about this. This message didn't drop until David Joyce was gone off the air, unfortunately. But it's one we've touched upon many times with regards to the city centre. Could you please ask the guy from the council when they're really going to address the problems of people with disabilities? I was in the city last evening with my friend who's a wheelchair user. It's a disgrace. It's embarrassing. You just can't get around or participate easily in outdoor dining or anything else. Often there isn't even enough room to get through the footpaths or you're completely stopped from accessing some cafes or restaurants. On Coyle Street, he nearly took a tumble out of the chair as the footpath is all cracked. There was a big drop on the side. It's really dangerous. Crossing the road at Grand Parade, a huge dent in the road. They got caught in, and it held up the traffic. At that stage, we just laughed, but it's far from funny. So much talk of an inclusive society, but of course, talk has to be backed up with action. And accessibility... For people with disabilities in the city is something we've touched upon many times. Thanks for that, Maeve. Both people who use wheelchairs, people with limited visibility, that kind of thing. Again, uh, remember a few weeks ago or from a couple of months ago now when they started the outdoor dining, we were talking to Jess about being a person who with, with he read, Jess is registered blind and about the issues that she had with just getting around the various parts of the city that are pedestrianised for outdoor dining. I haven't been talking to her since, but I'm not too sure it's changed very much. 1857 uh, Another MAVE, a different Maeve. Uh, they're restoring peat bogs near UK cities. Maybe we could think about that. I'm fascinated with this discussion. We're trying to get a pedestrian crossing on a very busy junction on the Bishopstown Road for years. City Council says it has no budget, but there's loads of money to waste on this. PJ, the amount of benefit, though minimal, is a step, no matter how small, in the right direction. All small inputs make a large output, says Tom, which is a valid point, and I guess one that we should take on board. I'll come back to it. 1850 Do you remember after the referendum on the Eighth Amendment, and when the legislation was passed and when the first abortion services began to be provided around the country, uh, limited, though they are, we were talking about that yesterday, what we saw was protests set up right at the gates of the hospital or right at the gates of the clinic or just across the road from the gates of the clinic. Very, very distressing for people going in and out. And at the time this was 2018, the then Minister of Health, Simon Harris, said that they would establish 100 metre safe zones around the facilities and promised to fast track it. Now that was 2018. Now even allowing for a pandemic in the middle of all of this, it's now 2021, nothing's been done. The current Minister, Stephen Donnelly, Says that while the plan is still in place there have been a number of quote legal issues which necessitated further consideration. Sure haven't there always been? The idea that you wouldn't allow a protest within a hundred meters of a clinic. You should think it's easy to do in law. If you're to listen to Stephen Donnelly, it's not as easy as they thought. Uh, Doctor Mary Favier, good morning, Mary. Good morning. The commitment is kind of still there, but they're worried about legal implications. That seems to be the where we where we are right now.
10: Yes, we've been working. Uh, just so, uh, you know, as a representative of GP providers in the Start Group, and just for speaking for those who are you know, work in the hospital services, all the many staff, both the obstetricians and gynaecologists, but all the admin staff, all the people who to work in these places where these protests are occurring. This is what, this is why it's necessary. So when when the former minister, Simon Harris, stated in 2018 that there were some legal issues, we accepted the bona fides of that and said, look, you know, it needs to be worked out. And then of course COVID came along and that was understandable again. But now we're three years on. And when the Irish Examiner published a piece last week saying that. That it had been shelved and they had no plans to introduce law, the GPs around the country are providers and there's about 400 of them were saying, really? Can this be true? Because as recent as last week there were protests, uh, protests outside uh, GP surgery in Common." And if you think about these protests, they, they may appear aimed at the at the woman or person who's going to access abortion services or ask about it. But in reality, they're quite few. It's really aimed at intimidating other people in the surgery who who might ever be thinking about it, who might ever want to support somebody, you know, the the sister, the mother, the father of somebody seeking a service, because... It, 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 otherwise they would protest somewhere else and, and we'd be the first to support protest mm. if that's what people want to like do like the but civil right text. to
6: a peace, peaceful protest is protected by the constitution
10: Yes, as it should be. And I think that's entirely reasonable, whether that's outside the door or in public places, but outside healthcare services, where vulnerable people accessing health service of any form will be, including the elderly, the very young, is really not acceptable. And it's intimidating and it's designed to intimidate.
6: So I remember when this happened first in Cork and I spoke to one of the people uh, involved in the protest and yeah the civil right to a peaceful protest, as we said, protected by the Constitution. And their argument was, Mary, if you start limiting that, where does it end?
10: I, I can accept there's challenges in it, but this has been done very successfully in other countries where a hundred metre perimeter and it's a nominal hundred metres. People can know that they cannot stand outside a doctor's surgery with a placard, shouting, videotaping, yeah. make, making derogatory comments, getting in the way of people is, is, cannot happen. And these tactics are being di- directly imported from the US and we need to nip them in the bud and say this isn't acceptable in Ireland. Because if you think about it, 66% of the population voted in favour of the change. It's now a legal service and it's been a very successful, quietly implemented legal service and it goes, people go about their business. It's healthcare. So we need to respect that and say let's protect it and as we would any other form of health service and move on.
6: So now that the current health minister, Minister Donnelly, has identified, and I quote, a number of legal issues which necessitated further consideration. I think your message today, Dr. Mary Favier, is, well,
10: consider them and sort them. Indeed, and there have been many constitutional lawyers who've given opinions on this and written some proposed legislation mirroring what's been done in other countries and it is time, it's time to move on it's time to say to the the women and people in Ireland who might access abortion services and all the people who seek to say this is okay, it's legal in Ireland that that be respected and that we have this very simple piece of legislation it would only run to two or three pages and then the Gardaí could implement it because now they're left with trying to implement public order acts, and that's very, very difficult and very challenging. And the guardi, to date have been supported, but they need to have the power strengthened.
6: Mary, you're based here in Cork, if I remember rightly. Uh, do we Have we had protests like this in Cork of late? I know we did have once, but have we had lately?
10: There have been very few in Cork of late. They've been largely up, up the country. There have been some in Dublin, some in Galway. They're, they're episodic. But I think the concern about the the protest is is the fear it puts into people who might choose to provide this service, but also the staff who might work there. It's very hard to think about providing a new service if you think there might be pickets outside the door or even the threat of pickets. And I think women are entitled to a service. We don't have a perfect service in rural areas. It's limited and for women with disabilities and those who can't access service easily. And we don't want anything that puts a barrier in, in place for that. Thank you And so we need to always think about who are the people who are most disadvantaged if we don't put this in. And that's vulnerable people, it's migrants, it's people who don't have have English as the first language, it's those who are very rural, those with disabilities, those who can't access services easily. And that applies to any health service we we, we wish to put in place. Let's always think about who will have the most issues accessing it, Mm. not those of us who are enabled and and well-educated and find these things easy. And so we need to keep always those individuals in mind.
6: Lastly, and briefly, I spoke yesterday with a representative of the uh, Termination for Medical Reasons group and addressing the point that, you know, we would have thought that when the referendum was passed and the legislation followed, that the problems of that group were, were addressed. They're not. Not at all.
10: Indeed they're not, and it's the most difficult part of, of what's happened since the referendum. It's effectively, we have a, a, a service of two halves. We have the under-12-week service provided largely in general practice, which has been successful. It needs to be bigger and larger and more extensive and apply to everybody, but it's a, it's a success. But unfortunately, after, after 12 weeks, We have only 10 of our 19 maternity hospitals providing a service which needs to change and the minister needs to prioritise that. But also the restrictions around termination for for medical reasons around foetal anomaly are so tight that there are actually less of these terminations being done than there were before the law changed. And the vast majority of these women have to travel with their partners to the UK to to, have a very difficult procedure done on their own and bring the remains back and can you imagine doing that during COVID times? So we, we've got some other way but in the constitutional review that's going to take the, the review of the law that's due to take place this summer and that is also being delayed, this is one of the most important things we, we look at what has happened that we've left these women and their families behind and we need to change that.
6: Alright Mary thank you for your time. Dr. Mary Favier, uh, Cork based GP 1850 Uh, 996 those safe zones so so what Stephen Donnelly said is well yes, there are legal problems with doing it, Stephen Stephen, what's his name, Stephen Simon Simon Harris said in 2018, oh we'll do it we'll bring in these uh, zones, you won't be able to have your protest within 100 metres and he said yeah we'll do it and we'll fast track it, now in 2021 Stephen Donnelly said well not as easy as that. There's a few legal things to sort out. But the message from Mary Favour would be, well, sorted out. Get on it now.
8: Can we just talk?
6: The Opinion Line on
2: Cork's 96FM. With
4: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. It's time to vote. It's time to vote in the Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. A Go
2: to 96FM.ie. Check out the shortlists for all categories and vote for your favorite.
4: The Best of Cork Awards with LocalHeroes.ie find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths, and more with a 12 month guarantee backed by Board Gosh Energy. Boy.
6: Only on Cork's 96FM. When you talk about a, a mental health issue and to someone who's living with a mental health issue, you're always cautious of the language that you use and how you phrase the things that you say. So in advance of even starting to a wall, forgive me if I'm a bit ham-fisted with this, yeah. you live with schizoaffective disorder. Which, tell me what it is and tell me what it isn't, I suppose. Good morning.
3: Good morning.
11: Um, So, schizoaffective disorder, it is a name that we give to when someone has schizophrenia and bipolar disorder kind of symptoms together. So, that's it really. It's it's mainly schizophrenia that I have, but also a little side of bipolar as well.
6: So, what is schizophrenia and how does it affect you?
11: So schizophrenia is a mental illness that affects your thoughts and feelings, emotions. It comes in different forms. It presents itself differently in different people. Um, For me, I would have suffered a lot in my life with um, hallucinations like auditory hallucinations, which are voices, um, visual hallucinations in the past, and delusions, which are false beliefs.
6: Now, reading about you in the Irish Independent, you started hearing... Strange things when you were in Montessori school?
11: Yeah, so I was very young when it all started. Um, I first started kind of seeing things moving, like pictures moving and that that were supposed to be still and just little things like that. And at the beginning, it was kind of put down to my imagination because obviously I was a child. But as years went on, it kind of became more apparent that there was a problem there.
6: Yeah. And at its worst, you were checking your food for, for poisons that people were watching you that there were cameras around the house that everybody could hear what you were thinking and i suppose those around you who loved you said to you nicola this isn't true this isn't happening but that made no difference to you
11: yeah it doesn't when you're when you have something like schizophrenia and you're kind of like in a psychotic state, we'll say those things really seem true with different from, you know, worrying about things or being a little paranoid. I mean, you genuinely believe these things to be true while you're in it. With, um, you know, health and medication and you know therapy, it does help to you know reduce those symptoms a lot and to learn to manage the illness. But when you're in that heightened state, it's very hard to kind of come down from it and understand that none of it's real.
6: You were diagnosed at the age of 22. When you can put a name on something and you know what it is, does that help
11: Absolutely. Um, when you don't know what you have and, you know, I didn't even hear the term mental health until I was a teenager and I I didn't even know it existed and I didn't know, I just thought that I was just absolute freak and there was no one like me and getting a name to my illness made me understand that there's other people like me and this is something that happens to lots of people and that there is treatment and help out there.
6: You're having a perfectly normal conversation with me here this morning. I take it though that there are good days and bad days.
11: Yeah, good days, bad days, I can always manage it perfectly like normal conversation, like I'm always I'm very high functioning um, you know, some people aren't, I'm very fortunate in that sense, and that my symptoms will be considered milder compared to other people and that I've had it so long because I've had it since I was so young I'm able to deal with it really well and I don't really know any better, I don't know, I didn't have a normal before, so I don't know any different really, so yeah, I'd be very high functioning in that sense
6: Is it possible for you to describe to me, uh what it feels like?
11: Um, what in particular?
6: You know, if okay, what does it feel like to have a thought in your head, like a voice in your head, or?
11: Um, well, to me, it's nearly normal to me at this stage, but it's just it's just a lot of noise mainly. Um, I'm very lucky in the sense that I don't have very negative voices or anything like that. Um, but. Yeah, no. I would have had in the past, but you know, the last few years of my life, like the illness, is very, very manageable.
6: Good, good. Now, one thing I think you have learned is that you're the best manager of your own mental health. And, And you talk about even on the toughest day, do something for yourself. And you say you hate, you hate things like you know these wall posters that say live, laugh and love and positive vibes only, but you say happiness, in your situation at least, is a choice.
5: Yeah, it's a choice in the sense
11: of, like, of getting up every day and being like, do you know what? I choose to be happy, I choose to make the best of my situation and I can be sad about it for a while, but once my time of being sad is over, I have to move on and get on with my day. But, you know, this kind of general advice sometimes we give with mental illness can be harmful when someone's in a really, really bad state to say to them, like, oh, have you tried yoga or something? It's just not helpful when someone's, like, very actively suffering from severe symptoms. Obviously, those things help with your mental health, you know, to sustain good mental health and to get you on the right track. But when someone's in a very severe, you know, really, really bad place, sometimes we can be a bit like, oh, it's oh, it's fine, everything's great. What do you have to worry about? And it's just not helpful in the long run.
6: Has COVID and lockdown and isolation
11: been a struggle? Um, Well, I have two babies, so it's been busy more than anything else. I have a two and a half year old and I have a nine month old who would have been born in the second lockdown. So it's busy, busy all the time.
6: Yeah, but like we know we're hearing a lot about people's mental health being affected by COVID. Was it harder for you during lockdown?
11: Yeah, it's just the isolation of it all, really. That can just be really hard. And I think most people felt the same. And I think we are seeing a demand for mental health services more than ever at the minute because most people are... I think most people are struggling. And it's hard to get back on track now. It's hard to get out and talk to people again because some of us have just forgotten how to hold a conversation.
6: Yeah. Like, when things are tough for you, who do you turn to?
11: Oh, definitely my husband. Like, he'd be my biggest supporter, absolutely. Yeah.
6: Is it hard... For him, sometimes when you're having it rough,
11: Um, yeah, I suppose it's like you know everyone has their struggles and everyone has their kind of things that they have to go through in life that are really difficult. And he's always really supportive of me, and I really support him. And it's never like I think people think that like I must be like really sick, and it's like you know he has to care for me or something like that. But Hmm. it's really it's really not like that. You know,
6: there's probably somebody listening. Who's either had a diagnosis recently or is worried about a loved one, Nicola? What would be your advice for them?
11: I think my biggest piece of advice and what I wish I'd been told when I was first diagnosed is that there is a life beyond the diagnosis, and you can get to a place where you can live this full, happy life. But it, it does take a lot of work. But it's not a case of. Oh, I've been diagnosed with this, and you can very much feed into the stigma because there's so much stigma around this illness mm-hmm. and believe all the things that you see on TV and the movies about it, but it really is, it can be a very manageable illness.
6: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot on the movies about it that just is not true.
11: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there's someone listening right now that's like, oh my God, like, you know, she hears voices and stuff, and she's kids. kid. It's just, I mean, it's very hard to explain, like, very quickly, like, kind of in an interview s- situation, but it's just not what people think it is.
6: Yeah. You've written a book uh, called Pretty Sane, which is a nice title, and is that to make that point?
8: That... Yeah,
11: exactly. That's exactly what I was doing with the book, is I just find it very difficult to explain things, like, you know, what the voices say and all that, so it kind of goes through my whole story and everything that's happened to me, because there's a lot of other things besides that, and... I just covered my whole story and how I got to the place that I am now um, and got into this good place, basically.
6: Well, I wish you well and I hope that that good place, uh, that you remain in that good place uh, for a very long time and indeed for as much time as you can. I know there will always be bad days when one has a condition like this, but I hope that there are more good days than bad days for you. Nicola, thanks very much. Nicola Wall, uh, book is called Pretty Sane. I'm sure you get it in any good bookshop. I imagine there are people listening who might be able to identify with it, either in their, in themselves or in a loved one. Tommy Gould, uh, the Northside Sinn Féin TD has been complaining about the type of IDs that are acceptable when you go to get a vaccine and just reading his press release this morning and I went looking to see what you have to bring if you're going for a vaccine. I speak in the context of course of younger and younger people now being called for a vaccine which can only be a really good thing. And according to the HSE's official website, if you go for a vaccination, you obviously need photo ID particularly at these walk-in clinics at the weekend, so you can bring a passport, a driving license, which of course if you're 16 years of age you didn't you don't or you shouldn't have one, a public service card which you may well have. A travel pass, which you may well have. A national age card issued by the you which of course you only have if you're over 18. Or a school or a college ID. It must have a photo on it. I just saw that press release earlier on this morning from Tommy Gould. I'm thinking, that's a fairly comprehensive list of stuff that you need to bring with you. I don't know what the problem is. Good morning, 1850 715 This time yesterday, we'd just been getting a, a forced look over that UN report on climate change and there'll be much more written and much more said by people much more educated and qualified than I to say anything about it over the next while but one thing we know for sure is that the world, the globe is heating up, that it is almost now unequivocally down to human activity and that we need to look at that activity or things are going to get worse And I was saying yesterday, I love me a bit of weather. I love me a bit of summer weather. I want more summer weather before the summer's out. But at the same time, when it gets really good, like it did in July in this country, we realise it's a symptom of a bigger problem. And if you look to Greece at the moment, uh, there are horrific scenes uh, from Greece of a blaze, just an inferno on the island of Evia, And I didn't know this, but Evia is Greece's second biggest island after Crete. I didn't know that. And it's a very forested island, a very rugged island. And literally, uh, apocalyptic scenes on the island of Evia. Now, Sandra, you've lived in Greece, in Athens, for 14 years now. Tell me what it's like. like. Tell me what it's like.
12: Uh, well, uh, at the beginning he uh, was uh, you were we were all scared you know when uh, when we saw all these fires have, breaking out all over the place, I mean there was up to five hundred and sixty eight fires at one stage uh there was fires outside Athens, uh, you know which were close to us, uh, so that was scary but of course, the biggest destruction is in the island of Avia. um and you know that island is famous for resin production and olive trees, you know there's a lot of farmers. And the, the apocalyptic scenes that we have seen the last few days, you know, they, you, you, you just can't describe them, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's terrible.
6: What are the temperatures like at the moment out there?
12: Uh, the temperatures at the moment now will be about 38, but from tomorrow again we're going to go over 40.
6: And you talk about them being outside Athens, were, were any of them close to where you live
12: like maybe 10 10 miles kind of away, you know, but, you know, you had all the ash and all the smoke uh, coming in on top of us. Uh, But, you know, that's a small price to pay for us. I mean, okay, we're we're okay. I mean, but it's the other people, the people that were close by. Sure. You know, there were scenes there outside Athens that were unbelievable. They, you know, there was this big motorway and, you know, there was a fire at one side of the motorway and then you'd think, you know, watching it, like the fire will get to the motorway and it'll stop. And the flame danced across the motorway and went off on the other side, which was really dangerous because there was all these, you know, um, petrol stations and warehouses with flammable uh, things inside them, you know. So that that, that that moment that that happened, that the fire danced across the motorway was...
8: That's fearful.
12: You know, That yeah, that, that was terrifying. But luckily they contained that fire and uh, it didn't, you know, it stopped. Yeah. But um, you know, Asia. Like, you know, what can I, you know, what can I tell you? As you said, it is the second biggest island. You know, it's a, 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 a huge elderly population. Yeah. Thousands have been evacuated. Yeah, how many
6: people live on it, Sandra?
12: I don't know. To be honest, now I don't know. But yeah. there, there are.
6: Like it's Sometimes not a place you go on your holidays. Put it that way. You go to Crete, you go to Corfu, you go to maybe Mykonos and awesome yeah. places like that. Uh, really... uh,
12: a lot of a lot of Greek people would go there on their holidays, and right. a lot of people here, like a lot of friends of mine, for example, have houses in area, I see. You know that would be belonging to their grandparents or whatever. It's uh, you know that kind of thing, a holiday home for them, but also you know where their grandparents lived and worked or whatever.
6: Right, right, right. And yeah. it's just it's engulfed.
12: Yeah. It has, it has engulfed, and you know the people are very angry at the moment. Now, you know they're complaining all the time that they need more water, they need more bombing planes and helicopters. But then, you know, the government says because of the poor visibility, because of all the smoke, you know that the pilots are facing difficulties. And we had an accident in the island of Zakynthos the other day; a plane, uh, one of those water planes, crashed. But luckily, the pilot escaped. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, how
6: were they how did they fight a fire of that size P- planes I guess full of just buckets and buckets and buckets of water
12: yeah and, and we've been very lucky in that like thousands of, of people have turned up um, you know i mean personally i'd like to <laughs> mention the Romanians you know the Romanians sent two hundred firefighters and fifty fire engines or whatever uh, you know which which was amazing you know for a, a poor country to send all those people all that manpower here and they you know they they've been doing extraordinary work you know I mean, people are very impressed with uh, how well they're able to you know get, roll up the sleeves and get stuck in you know putting out the fires so
6: yeah there are some towns on avia in 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 real danger of being engulfed as well
12: there are, yeah, there are. I mean, there, there were some that they were completely in, in destroyed, yeah, uh, Anna, um, Limni, you know, a few places like that are completely destroyed. Um, and it's still, you know, it's still on fire, is still on fire, and, uh, you know, at the moment, like, 35,000 hectares has been burnt. Yeah. You know, so, and, and you know, here, we're used to fires. We have a fire every year, you know, but if you look at the numbers and look back, you know, from 2008 up to 2020, you know, you have about 1,500 hectares or whatever being burnt every year. At the moment, it's 56,000 in 10 days, you know, which is 120,000 acres yeah. in 10 days. Yeah.
6: You know. And do people put this down to climate change, Sandra?
12: Uh, they do, yeah. I mean, climate change has definitely got, like, we had hardly any rain this year, like, in, you know. Yeah, when was, when was the last
6: time you saw a super rain there near Athens?
12: Uh, months and months ago, probably in March. <laughs> and not much, nothing compared to other years. I mean, because we've been saying it, you know, that we, you know, that this year we had some cold, we had a bit of snow, but we had hardly any rain. Yeah. And you know, the place is like a tinderbox, you know, because with no rain, you know, and it it does, you know, you don't need even a spark to cause fire. I mean, if yeah. the sun is blazing down on a on a bit of tinder, it's going to go it's going to ignite. Where,
6: where are you from, Sandra? Uh, I'm from Kerry. Kerry. Okay. So, nothing like the good healthy downpours that you see on the county bounds. Like you'd no. never see one of those.
12: <laughs> No, no. I mean, we used to get a lot of rain before, like in, in the rainy season, as we call it. But like, I mean, now there's, there has been nothing. Like the last, the last two years, it's hardly rained at
6: all. That's, that's a good point to make with regard to the changing of the climate. So you're mm-hmm. there now 14 years. Yeah. And you've seen changes in the so-called rainy season and stuff like that.
8: Yeah, yeah.
6: But what have you and seen?
12: Generally, like, that we now have two seasons. You know, we have, uh, it stays hot until maybe the end of October, which it used to get cool in September. Now it stays hot until the end of October, beginning of November. And then we're into, straight into, into winter. And then the winter maybe lasts until March, and then it starts getting hot again from April.
8: And you know, how it, cold it, we just would have winter four be?
12: Seasons. Um, okay, this year we had a bit of snow, but like in Athens, which is, is rare, but um, it, it doesn't get that cold. I mean, we say eight or nine degrees at night, kind of thing.
8: Right,
12: right. Yeah.
6: Right. And it just heats up fast, stays hot.
12: Yes, the, and mm-hmm. like, they're unbelievable heat waves. like, I mean, that, this year now, it went up to 45 last week, like, I mean, you know, and, and then we had all these threats, of course, as well, that we were going to have no power, uh, you know, which, uh, which would be very difficult if you were trying to live in 45 degrees without a refrigerator mm. or whatever, you know? I know, I know, and the air conditioning, you know, they were telling people not to be using electricity so much at certain times mm. because of, the grid was overloaded. Mm.
6: Come here. what took you there in the first place, Sandra?
12: I met a Greek man in Ireland, and uh, we had no uh, happen. <laughs> yeah, it you, is, you, Yeah, you, I, I was in UCC year, many years ago, so <laughs> I right. met him there.
6: And you, you, you kept the accent for a pleasure.
12: I did. I did. Do you speak to Greek now? <laughs> I do. I do. I, I teach English, but I have a different accent when I'm teaching. <laughs> oh, good, I,
6: good, good. Listen. Stay safe out there. That thing about the fire crossing a motorway is a scary description. Yeah.
12: It's scary. Dis- do
6: you know anybody yeah. on Avia, by the way?
12: I do. I, I know a woman that, that's, uh, for example, now she, she had two elderly, you know, her two elderly parents. And she woke up the other morning and she said that, the, that she couldn't breathe, you know, from the smoke in her village. And she had to put her two elderly parents and two cats and a dog into a car and drive. And then when she got to, you know, where, the, where there were some policemen, she asked them, where will I go so we can breathe? And they weren't able to answer her. And things like that are making people very angry. You know, that there's, there seems to be no briefing. Nobody seems to know what's going on. And, you know, she was in the car. The dog had an epileptic seat inside the car while all this was going on. You know, this this kind of, you know, the woman was out of her mind with worry. And she got there and she said, where will I go? And they said, oh, do you want to go to Athens? And she said, no, I want to go somewhere where my parents can breathe a bit of fresh air, you know, because of the smoke. And that kind of thing, you know, where people don't know what's going on. The government has been really bad at briefing. They're, you know, the Prime Minister comes on at night, he, he, he makes a statement, and that's it. There's no, you know, they don't call in journalists and say, today we're going to do X, Y, and Z. They don't do that.
8: Yeah. Uh, you, you
6: think that the Irish government should be doing something to help here, do you find Oh, that?
12: they should. Oh, they should. I mean, it's a, I, I, I'm ashamed that they're not doing anything. I mean, I, when I see the Serbians and the Romanians and the Turks are sending two planes, and they had their own fires, you know, like a couple of days ago. And I said, like, you know, Ireland couldn't send, you know, a few firefighters. Well, you know, we're, we, it doesn't have to be big numbers. Israel sent 16. You know, and that, that makes people very happy here to see that they have support. And I think, you know, the, Ireland couldn't spare, you know, 10, 20 firefighters. <laughs>
6: Listen, Sandra. Good to speak with you. Stay safe out there, and thank you for Thanks your ex- incredible description of what's going yes. on. Thank
12: you very much. Good luck to you.
6: That's Sandra Dillon, resident in just outside Athens for the last uh, fourteen years. That's a frightening description from her own locality, or maybe ten or twenty miles down the road, of a fire that started. And literally danced across a motorway Not to mind what's happening on Avia Scary 185715996 Can
8: we
4: just talk
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With
4: McCarthy Insurance Group Call in person or call them now They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie The Facts on Vaccines From Cork's 96FM If I've had COVID and now recovered, is a vaccine still required? If you've had
2: COVID-19, then your body may have built up some natural immunity to the virus. However, it's still unclear how long this immunity lasts or if it fully protects you from catching COVID-19 again. Also, natural immunity may not last as long as the immunity given by a vaccine. So it is recommended that you take up the offer of a COVID-19 vaccine when it becomes available. For information on COVID-19 vaccines, visit the HSE website.
4: Helping you through
6: COVID. Helping you through COVID. Cork's 96FM. That head in you isn't too, much, too wide to get in the door. Ross Brown, what are you at, you divilier?
13: You're taking over the world. Well, me? at the moment, the arse isn't getting in the door. It's, that's why I've got a personal <laughs> trainer. The head's fine. It's just everything from below. I'm like a pyramid. <laughs> Congratulations, my friend. This is huge. Explain what's happened here. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But, um, okay, so I shot... Uh, okay. The beginning of it was I went. To, remember, I went to LA like two and a half years ago, yeah. three years ago. Yeah, and we went out. And we interviewed. Or we we I was doing uh, double duties over there. I was filming a pilot of a hidden camera show, and then we were kind of going around meeting people, taking interviews, kind of um getting you know, kind of wangling our way into into Hollywood. And we got some pretty good interviews and and did a couple of gigs over there as well. And we one of the people that we met. Uh, two of them actually. One guy is uh, is um, the guy who created the Osbournes, who's actually a dub, uh, and the other guy then is a, a an American guy uh, who's married to. Emer Noon, you know Emer Noon, she was the first ever female conductor for the Oscars. Yes. Yeah, so her husband is uh, Craig Garfinkel, and he's a producer, he's a, a, he's a composer, and uh, he also produced and directed Dane Cook's stand-up special from Madison Square Garden. Yeah. So we walked into his house in Malibu. Uh, and As you do. As you do, and there was platinum records all over the wall with stand-up comedian, with Dane Cook on the on the covers, and I was like, oh, this guy's a... Very, uh, yeah. <laughs> very relevant to what we're going to be doing. Yeah. So, okay. well, what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> yeah, we struck up a friendship. Uh, we struck Who's up. Who's me, you know, by the way? Uh, so I was, I went over there with uh, Dylan Owens, who runs Upriser. Which is a, a a new startup for uh, they basically connect artists with industry professionals, yeah. and they kind of we went over there to kind of show that this is the proof of concept, uh, and they they brought me over there, so we met up with Craig and uh, and Craig liked my Every Man Show, which we recorded previously, and said uh, right, I'd like to produce your next one and let's make it speculatively and then try and sell it, yeah. so, we, so we made it in the Opera House uh, March. Of 2019. Yeah, uh, exactly I was at that show. I keep saying last year, but the last year. Yeah, been going on. I, I would because I remember
6: being there early uh, to watch that show, and there was a lot of camera activity. And I said, "He's mm-hmm. filming
13: this." Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we had seven cameras. I think. Yeah. and my everything was mic'd up and the whole shebang and the audience were all told you're, you're on camera you're like you're filmed you're you're yeah. accepting to come into this and there was a lovely bottle of champagne waiting behind from Mr. and Mrs. Coogan as well which won't, won't go on forgetting <laughs> um, and yeah so we, we filmed that we edited it and we started shopping it around in, uh, in the States and we were kind of put from one person to the next saying I know who'll want this and we got an agent who was interested and then he said you need to go to this guy and they all kind of pointed towards a guy called um... a a company called Comedy Dynamics Uh, Brian Volkweis is the CEO and basically they're the world's largest producer and distributor of stand-up so you scroll through Netflix and pretty much every stand-up Joe Rogan, Tom Segura, Bert Kreischer Ali Wong, Kevin Hart all of their stuff, uh, Bill Burr is all Comedy Dynamics so I can't get my head around it this is definitely the biggest thing that's happened and they took it and they took it and and now it's getting a
6: describe that moment Ross when a company that big says we'll take it.
13: It's very gradual. So like the deal was being done for a long time yeah. and there were so many things we had to deliver and we had to you know we had edits to do and different passes and you know there was negotiations going on and the whole shebang and then I was told about a month and a half ago they're going to give it an audio release it's going to be made into a comedy album like the old school Steve Martin albums you know and it'll obviously be streaming and stuff CD
6: or whatever yeah Yeah,
13: and it'll be streaming on Spotify and stuff and I thought okay that's cool and then I sat down for the the Zoom call which was like a, a, a launch kind of scheduling Zoom call and there was all these different heads of different departments and there was an American PR lady there and an internal PR person and a social media person and I was like this is a lot for an audio album and they were like Oh, no no this is getting a full release as in the video Ed the whole this is a full stand up special I completely was uh, half listening half asleep or didn't hear the, didn't read the full email they were like it's getting a full worldwide release on August 17th and it's going on Amazon Prime so I was like what? oh oh right right so yeah you're
6: on Amazon Prime next Tuesday
13: yeah yeah it's going to be on Amazon globally. Prime globally worldwide yeah yeah and it's also going to be on in America and stuff it'll be on Apple TV and then people can also who don't have Amazon Prime can also Purchase or rent it as well. So I think in Ireland, it's Vimeo is where you yeah, purchase or rent it. You buy the link, yeah, yeah. And same on YouTube in America and UK. You can you can purchase or rent it, but but Amazon Prime is about as good as you can get. Like it's yeah. bonkers. I still haven't. My imposter syndrome <laughs> is going through the. You've roof.
6: talked about that before. You talked about that to me on my podcast. You've talked about the case in the mornings. Yeah. You still you you pinch yourself every day that something like this happens.
13: I, it's like it's 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 unfathomable. And massively exciting and stuff. But I got, I got sent clips yesterday from the from the social media team over at Common Dynamics saying, here's here's the social media stuff we'll be putting up to promote it with subtitles and all that jazz. Um, and I couldn't watch it. I, I, I had to watch it through my hand. I was like, oh, geez, the way I'm turning, the way I'm, oh, God, what a fraud. Like, I can't. And it took me, I had to force myself to watch it four or five times to become desensitized to the point I went, Actually, do you know what? That looks really good. So it's like same with the fear. I couldn't watch the fear yeah. unless I was on my own, and I had to kind of get over myself to go. Actually, that was quite a funny sketch or whatever, you yeah. know. So
6: I remember you doing heats of the Cork Rose of
13: Tralee mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of a step up, lad. Yeah, yeah. But look, I mean, you know, everything's a gig. Everything's a job. Yeah, you know, like you're not. In, it doesn't make any anyone. Uh, too good for a, a good gig. If something's enjoyable, or whatever, I'm, like it doesn't mean like you stop playing comedy clubs, you know. And again, it's like this is like just another another new thing, mm. you know. It's like comedy is comedy's comedy, no matter whether you're doing it in a room in front of thirty people, yeah. they could be the best thirty, and you could be doing it in front of ten thousand girls <laughs> 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 scale, scale doesn't really matter. It's quality <laughs> over quantity, you know. So.
6: You 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 did you didn't do anything online. During the whole pandemic, we we chatted about it on the stairs here one day. Was it a conscious decision you made? Why did you
13: do that? Um, I can be seen and heard on the radio. I can be be heard on the radio. I was writing full time as well, scripts and and screenplays and stuff. I have another thing in the pipeline, which is another massively exciting thing to do with screenwriting. So I, I was busy like Jewelry isn't
2: a gift you give just once.
13: And, and also I just thought you know what Mostly you must be bursting to back on the stage though do you oh yeah <laughs> oh 100% yeah I mean it's like it's there's a lot of pent up you know I need to get things off my chest and even, even for me it's therapeutic but like I, I just went I'm not going to make anything online because everybody's online and I normally go where everybody isn't so when no, when, when no comedians did online sketches I was doing them now that they're all trying to do them I was like they don't need to see me as well now I'll come back when, under my own terms so a lot of gigs like you know and listen I'd like more Power to everyone, like especially comedians that didn't have mm. who, who weren't fortunate enough to have other stuff that I had. You know, I was mm. in a very comfortable position. I also feel guilty about that, uh, kind of going, Oh my god, you know, I'm, I'm trying to empathize with other comedians and stuff, but I chose just not to put stuff out unless it's unless it feels real. Yeah, I don't want to do a gig in front of seven people in their kitchen. Yeah. you know what I mean and and uh, four other comedians in their bedrooms I was like that's not for, to, for me that's not stand up so I said I'm just going to go quiet for a while yeah. and just do my do my day yeah, stuff and
6: look what you've emerged with now at the end of it all your one she was sitting behind me the night I was at it and she had the craziest laugh yeah. in the universe did she
13: make the final cut oh we've edited around her as much as we can <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone had a wild dog in the capitals Ross no, not I... only the wildest laugh the most out of time with everybody else's that's laugh. Right, laugh, laugh. That's right. She was laughing at the setup. She was. Like. Yeah.
6: Yeah. <laughs> Ross, listen, we're so proud of you in here. Cheers. Well done, mate. Well, I can't, can't wait to see it. I'm going to have a night with pizza yeah. and cans. And I'll send
13: you a bottle of champagne on the 17th. <laughs>
6: Mind yourself, man. Take <laughs> nice care friend. and congratulations. Ross Brown, Amazon Prime from next week.
8: Can we just talk? The
2: Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With
4: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie. Access all areas on Corks 96FM. Your
2: guide to nightlife on side.
13: Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. It Takes the Village returns to Trafalgar Holiday Village County Cork on Friday the 18th of September to Sunday the 20th. The lineup for the festival will be announced tomorrow on the Festival's website, it takes a Access All Areas. New Irish Electronic Duo Houseplants feature Paul Noonan from Bellex1 and Jahi. They perform live in Levis' Outback at 7 p.m. on Monday, August 16th, with outdoor seating but limited tickets, so early booking is advised.
2: Access All Areas.
13: Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at AAA at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas.
4: Your i FM.
14: often said this
6: before children arrive into this world with mercifully you know, ten fingers, ten toes, two arms two legs and everything else in the right place and, and hopefully, you know it all works out well for you and, and they're perfect and they're great and they're wonderful, but by God almighty the thing that doesn't seem to work is their ears you can't get them to listen to you when they're younger and they're growing up a bit and you just want them to listen to you and you want them to do what you asked them to do and and, and, and it goes ah stop you (sighs) listen when mine were small there was no Catherine Hallisey around but for those of us who have small children now she's around and she's written uh, a free guide 16 page guide to getting your children to listen and she's done a video as well Catherine, you may have solved one of the big problems of the world. Good morning to you.
5: Good morning, PJ. What an introduction.
6: <laughs> Lovely to speak to you, as always. But there is that time, isn't it, when you just want them to listen and do what you ask them to do and just... Yeah. Ah, how do you do it?
5: I know. it's. I think it's one of the endless issues that we parents have. And it comes up all of the time, whether it's in my clinic or whether I'm in the queue in super value. And people will start talking about how do you get your kids to listen. And that's why I wrote the guide, because I was thinking if we could just reduce the stress a little bit, then family life would be just that bit more enjoyable for everyone.
6: Now, are you talking about the four-year-old sitting in the trolley who's trying to grab sweets and you want them to stop? Or, Or what situation are you talking about?
5: So I wrote this guide for anyone who's parenting toddlers to teenagers, you know, so it's it's not that it's specific to the age of the child. It's actually just about how we interact with people. And I think the first thing is really to just understand why it's so hard to get kids to listen. And really, it's like no one likes being told what to do. I don't, you don't, and, and certainly nobody likes to be interrupted when they're doing something they enjoy. Mm. So already we are set up for, okay, this could be a stress point. Then when you take that we've got totally different competing priorities, like we want to get stuff done, and our kids want to do their own developmental task. So the four-year-old, their developmental task is playing. The 14-year-old, their developmental task is developing their independence. You know, so at each age, they all have their own developmental tasks that they are biologically driven to work on. So with that in mind, how do you set yourself up for success? Yeah. Well, I suppose the, the, the first thing, and it's where I start with all of my interventions, is for parents to reflect on their usual communication style. Now, I don't know about you, PJ, but I am certainly guilty of uh, throwing instructions over my shoulder like confetti.
8: Yeah.
5: And then being surprised when it doesn't work. So if you can think about how do you usually ask your children to do something and then think about when do you usually ask them to do something. So that how and when is really important. So if your child is really engaged in something, if they're you know at the key point in their game, whether it's uh, an online game or a a physical game or whether they're watching something, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. So the first thing is look at how you ask, then look at your timing. If it needs to be done right now, then you can go on to the next step, Mm. which is connection. So you want to think about, okay, how can I connect with my child first? You know, you soften...
6: Again, if you want your child to say, do something simple, help with taking out the bin. Yeah. Don't don't ask them to do it while they're watching Dora.
5: Yeah, and it's not that we want to raise a generation of privileged little kids who don't help out. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am suggesting is we really think about how we're going to ask things. So we're going to reduce conflict points while still getting the job done. Mm. You know, I, I'm a huge believer in getting kids to help out. I think it reduces all of our stress. But second of all, it helps them be good members of society. It helps them, you know, I was talking about that development task of the 14-year-old is independent. Well, actually getting them to help out is part of that. Mm. It's part of that journey. So, but if you want to make it more likely that they'll do it, step two is to connect. Now, this is where we're all very guilty. And we think that our facial expression might be neutral. But if you catch sight of yourself in the mirror, which I did a couple of months ago when I was asking something and I saw this harsh facial expression and I thought I was neutral. So deliberately soften your facial expression and your body language. If you are feeling stressed or overwhelmed, it's actually even more important because you could be unintentionally having a harsh facial expression. And what that does is it gets their back up straight away. It's like, what? What now? What did I do? (laughs) you know okay. so that if you go up to your child with the intention of joining them in their world before you ask them to join you in yours so let's say they're watching something sit so down next to them if you can give it a minute or two and say come here this looks great now I have no clue about this show tell me who's this one you know and just just having a bit of a chat and it's not fake you know you're actually deliberately trying to show your interest and be interested not faking it mm mm-hmm. And it, and there's a very key reason for this. Look, research shows that we're more open to the influence of others if we feel connected to them. So this is going to feel good for both of you, but also it's going to make it more likely that they'll listen to you. So my, that's my immediate
6: instinct is, Catherine, and um, this is my feeling, like while you're having this lovely conversation, the task at hand isn't getting done.
5: I know. And to you see, you're not going to be able to do this all the time. Yeah. If you can aim for 30%, 30% is good enough. And I talk about good enough parenting all the time. Good enough is good enough. Mm. If you're rushing out the door to work, you won't get these steps done. But there are going to be times when you can get the steps done. And each time you do it, you reduce your stress. You reduce your child's stress. You get more harmony. They Mm. get a chance to practice the skills of helping out. Do you get less side eye? say that again. Do
6: you get less side-eye?
5: Ah, yeah. Look, we all know there's a way to ask for things. Do you know, I'm talking about, you know, treat your kids like you would treat a guest. We would never throw instructions over our shoulder to a guest. Mm -hmm. We'd be saying, come here, uh, sit down there and have a cup of tea. Now, would you mind helping me with this? Uh, You know, and look, we, we save the best of our social interaction for people we don't know. So I'm just talking about trying to bring a little bit of that into your everyday with your kids. Okay, Will I go on to step
6: three? Do, attention. That's the hardest thing to get, if you ask me.
5: Oh, yeah. So resist the urge to back orders from across the room. We know this doesn't work for us. And yes, we are endlessly surprised when it doesn't work with our children. Yeah. You know, so you want to try and get in close. Get down to eye level if you can. Now this is more important with smallies, but even with your teenagers, if they're sitting down, don't stand up above them because that's a power thing, and they that again gets their backs up. So I have these very six step, simple six steps, but there's loads of research behind each one.
3: Yeah. So
5: come down to their, you know, if it's appropriate, their shoulder gently and say their name. Now, don't say anything yes apart from that. This is where you just get that attention. Resist the urge to start blurting out your instruction. Wait for them to look towards you. And then, once you have their attention, you can go on to step four. This is a part we normally skip to, but this is where you say what you want to happen in clear, simple, positive language. Mm. Now, we're all guilty of doing an awful lot of blah, blah, blah here. Giving loads of instructions at once, whereas if you can just pare it down mm-hmm. and one instruction at a time, ideally.
6: I'm I'm going to jump to an example, which is a very significant oh. one, and I think it probably involves any child from I suppose eight to
8: yes.
6: sixteen. Right, the bedroom, Catherine. <laughs> the bloody bedroom, that you really do think that the only thing that will sort out that problem is a flamethrower. How do you get that hovel sorted without causing World War Three?
5: This is such a great example, PJ. <coughs> so, there's a number of different ways you can approach this. I'm going to talk about the pinnacle. I'm not expecting everybody to get this all the time. Sure. Okay, but I'll just give you an example. So let's say child, 10 years old. Teenagers are slightly different. I'll go through that in a second. So 10 years old, you go in and sit down and you do your chatting and you're you're being connected with them. You sit down and you're softening your facial expression, softening your words and just having the chit chat. And you're in the room and look around and you can say, well, there's a fair bit of stuff around, isn't there? So you're just saying it in a neutral way. You're drawing attention. I'd say do you know when I come in here I feel a little bit stressed with the mess. what's mm-hmm. it like for you. So again, you're just trying to draw correlations between how you feel and how it's related to the environment. Mm-hmm. And you could say it seems like you're you're finding it hard to keep the tidy. where will I give you a hand? Let's let's clean it up and I'll give so you a hand.
6: <laughs> what you said to me is don't, <laughs> is don't go straight to Jesus what died in here. Don't go oh, straight well, to that
5: treat your child like a visitor so if you were the guest staying you wouldn't be going and say, this is a pigsty, would you ever clean it up? <laughs> you'd say come here, will I give you a hand? Right. And you'd be recognising, look it's this, because this happens in nearly every house we should recognise that this is a developmental task because yeah. they need our support yeah. rather than us constantly freaking out. So I'm only interested in doing what works and people might be listening here saying, Jesus, shouldn't they, sorry, shouldn't they just be cleaning their room anyway? Well, we would like that to be the way, but I'd also like to be a millionaire and that's not the way either. Yeah. So we've got to work with what we have. So then you help them to clean it up and like ideally, you look, most kids have way too much in their rooms. I'm a believer that the rooms are for sleeping and reading and no toys. If you have toys in there, your kids are set up for failure right away. The more stuff they have in there, the harder it is to organize. And then when you've done it, take a picture of what done looks like. Because an awful lot of kids don't know what done looks like. They don't have the organisational skills to see where things need to go. Take that picture, print it out and stick it up. Take a picture of what the wardrobe looks like when it's organised and stick it on the inside of the wardrobe. Take a picture of what the bookshelf looks like when it's organised and stick it on the bookshelf. Take a picture of what the bed looks like when it's made and stick it on the bed or on the wall. So the child has a picture of done. And then each day you talk about resetting your room. So if you want your child to develop a new habit, we know from all the research on habits, you need to stack the habit onto something they're doing already. So after you get up, then you make your bed. Mm. And you could even write that up there. You know, after you get up, then you make your bed. And like I, I do loads of stuff with this, like loads of really practical things, like my own fridge at the moment, like that's where I keep all the, the jobs board. And because the morning routine is different now in the summer, there are actually only three jobs on there, which is um, make your bed, eat your breakfast and brush your teeth, yeah. you know. So And again, it's just things that they don't habitually do, so I know they need extra help to do it, rather than me going ballistic every morning. Have you brushed your teeth? <laughs> you know, like we. But does it not things.
6: become, or should it not become habitual, Catherine?
5: You see, it does, but we need support for it to become habitual. So, why do we as adults keep doing things and saying things to our kids that don't work? I'm interested in dropping everything that doesn't work and just doing more of what does. And these six steps they really, really work. I like want right. step five? Do. So after you, ask your, after you tell your child what you want them to do, then you do the hardest thing that there is for us parents, and that's wait. Resist the urge to repeat yourself.
6: How <laughs> many more times have I? Det- <laughs> uh, I know. Uh.
5: And even count to ten in your, se- in your head, because some kids have a delay with the processing. They could have difficulty switching their attention from one task to another. Because again, this is part of brain development.
6: Or maybe they just couldn't be bothered.
5: There's also that. Remember the first thing I said is none of us like being told what to do or (laughs) like being told to stop doing what we like. (laughs) So then, right, if you don't get a response, go back to step one. Reflect on how and when you asked. Connect get their attention again and then restate the instruction probably in simpler language and then go on to step six which is support. Help your child follow through by giving them whatever support they need to get the job done. Now this could be a timer. Come here in 10 minutes now I'm going to need you to clear up your room. Mm. The visual reminder you might write it up because my kids often ask me to do something right and I'll be in the middle of work and I'd say, oh, yeah, I'll definitely do that. And it goes clean out of my head, even though I have full intention of doing it because I'm absorbed and a task and our children are just the same. So visual reminders, the job boards like I have on my fridge. For an older child, you might get them to put a reminder in their own phone
8: mm-hmm. because,
5: again, you're working on developing their independence. And then breaking the task down or simply offering to help. So for my younger kids, my five-year-olds, like if I say to them, clear up the living room, they stand there helpless or their usual favourite rolling around on the floor. But if I say to them, now, I want you to pick up every Playmobil character and put it in this box, then they will do it. Right. I break the
6: task down. Be clear about what it is you want them to do. Catherine, Catherine Halisey's psychologist is your Facebook page and the, the, the guide is available through there and the video is on there.
8: And
5: I'll actually give you the link. It's uh, com. Help My Kid Listen.
6: All right. Listen, great talking to you as always, Catherine. Catherine Hallisey, uh, child psychologist. 1850 715996. Just staying with children's matters, I guess, before we go to 11 o'clock. The scientists have said that the rise in COVID figures is worrying ahead of schools reopening, as cases are concentrated in the unvaccinated. We have huge numbers of unvaccinated and, of course, they're nearly all very young people at this stage and the schools are opening in a couple of weeks and yesterday we heard from the Department of Health that, well, you don't you're not entitled to know whether your children's teacher is vaccinated um, but the availability of vaccines for younger people, particularly the over 12s. Uh, Dr. Jan Sheen. good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Are, are the doses out there in sufficient insufficient numbers to get them into the arms?
14: They, they certainly are and the uh, portal is opening for registration in uh, two days' time on Thursday for the 12 to 15-year-olds and um, To get there to register for the uh, COVID vaccine, and the logic of this PJ is, as you said, the the vaccination program has been incredibly successful. And although we're getting relatively high, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 cases a day, the hospitalisation rates are quite low. They're 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 holding. They're going up a little bit, but they are holding. We're certainly not seeing anything that we did in January. So now, really, it's to drive home the, the sort of the concept of herd immunity. And in order to do that we need to vaccinate younger people because most of the new cases now are in the unvaccinated people, yeah. which, as you said, are in younger people. So that's Are you the worried about...
6: The, um, there is this tiny creep up in the hospital numbers every day. Are you worried at that about that, John?
14: Um, I it, It's a concern, but it, it seems to be holding. You know, we're not seeing this big spike and the hospitals are certainly coping with it. But you're right. Each day, if you compare it the last week, it's up a little bit, it's up a little bit, um, but compared to the numbers that we're having, the vaccination program has made a huge, huge difference okay. and we're not seeing that big, huge wave that we saw in January, which I think nobody ever wants to see again. So it's over 12 now, can be vaccinated? It's over 12, yeah, so it's going down from Thursday on, the, the, the registration will be open from 12 to 15 year olds. Um, now, with the evidence so far has shown that young people who get COVID, the risk is very, very low Um, the knowledge in terms of long COVID isn't fully understood in young people yet. So there is a concern that they will have sort of chronic sort of tiredness and things like that for young people. So the idea behind doing this is that if we can protect young people, but also it protects, it lowers the risk of transmission then to older age groups, their grandparents, and their parents and other people. So who
6: registers a 12-year-old? Presumably not the 12-year-old themselves.
14: The parent, one parent has. The parent or guardian has to register, and then and um, they'll be done. Some practices will be doing it. General practices will be doing it, but, but a lot of the centres, such as City Hall, um, will be doing it as well. And they'll have to go. Then a parent or an adult will have to go with them yeah, because I guess
6: ready. look, a twelve-year-old isn't going to have, and it's, it's topical enough. A twelve-year-old isn't going to have a photo ID. So how do we get around that one?
14: They need either the PPS number, a birth cert, or some school ID. Okay, so usually they have some card showing something, but usually if a parent goes with them, usually I think that will sort of they gain ownership of them. I suspect,
6: John. Yeah. We've talked with this a hundred times, you and I, since since the very very start, and I keep asking you this one. I know the numbers are are you know they're worryingly high, but like you said, the amount of people really sick is very low. Are we near the end of this, Doctor John?
14: I think we are, and um, I think if we can get the younger people vaccinated, then I think we'll enter the booster stage, which will probably come with the flu vaccine. Then we will, uh, then I think, PJ, it'll be a bit like the flu, where we'll get some cases every year, we'll get a small, small spike, but life will go on, um, and we'll manage it. And I think that's the situation where we'll have it. We'll have it, there'll be some different variants each year, there'll be a booster vaccine, but life will go on. And I think that sort of, you know, Shutdown and lockdown. I think we, we we've moved away from that, and I think we you know we 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 drive on now, and we we, we learn to live with it.
6: Okay, all right, Justin, Thank you as always, Doctor John Sheehan. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just
8: talk?
6: the opinion line on Corks
2: ninety six FM with
4: McCarthy Insurance Group? Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie.
6: on the opinion line but sometimes listeners go okay Catherine that's an ideal world situation Kevin says how do I ask? I ask when it needs doing what happens next depends on if I have to return to it the bedroom issue just ask then 15 minutes later if the Hoover hasn't been taken upstairs turn off the Wi-Fi. ask once if once isn't enough You're losing. I'm talking about teens, not teenagers. What does that bit mean? Kevin, I'm not too sure what that means. You're talking about teens, not teenagers. Okay. And then Antoinette. So basically what the woman is saying is wait until your kids are ready to help to ask them to do something. How the hell will our kids cope in the real world? Kids need to learn responsibility. And if we bow down to every tantrum, then we're screwed. Which is an interesting take and I'd have to say, Antoinette, I kind of understand where you're coming from. But my missus has a saying in her professional life uh, where she says you'll win an awful lot more battles with honey than with vinegar. And she's proven it in her professional work. And there is a lot to be said for Catherine's approach, even though it sounds like you're begging and imploring of your children to clean that bloody room. In our house, we were just told lock the door and don't look in, and it won't bother you anymore. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. He's around again, lads. He's back. <laughs> this time. He's been seen off the Cork coast. Now, we're not going to say the exact location. Some lovely videos gone up and photographs gone up of Wally the Walrus, who was in Ardmore and that general area last week. We were talking about that in the programme. Some great photographs of him climbing into a rib and having a sleep. And then he's back around now on the southwest coast. That general area down there. Father John Collins, you, you saw him, did you? Good morning.
15: Good morning, PJ. How are you doing, bye? How are you Yeah, on Sunday there, uh, after the match, we went out for a few mackerel. And um, on the way back, he popped up his head. So um, mm. he he came he came quite close to the boat. He, he had a good look at us all. And, um mm. You know he came back a few times, but you know I had pity on the poor fellow because if it was mackerel he was looking for, he drew a blank because the last five years now there's not a mackerel to be had in Port Bay. It's a disaster. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, all our life we during the summer there we used to it was great, to, you know, go and catch a mackerel off the rocks. Yeah. And, Give him to the neighbours and bring him home. And there's no,
6: the there's country. no nicer fish straight Absol- out of the water. Oh my God, it's Absolutely, so
15: absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. he he graced. Uh, there's a lot of people come to court back. It's somebody called it the Capri of the South today. <laughs> so he graced.
6: <laughs> yeah, and and like, give, give me an idea of the size of him because I don't think if you're up up close to him. You have any notion, do you?
15: We figured he's about nine foot, <sighs> nine foot, huge, huge. Yeah.
6: And did you feel any way threatened by him? Like did he No, look...
15: no, no, gosh no, no. Just, Not at all. No. He's just
6: swimming yeah. around.
15: Swimming around, came close to the boat, took a good look at us and um I suppose he said, Have you any few mackerel? And we said <laughs> <laughs> No So yeah. he did dived you... down again then and he came up a few times, you know, we he, he approached the boat a few times and but there were a few pods of dolphins as well dancing around, you know. So yeah. I'm sure they were all looking for the same thing. Yeah. Like he wasn't. Everyone. He
6: wasn't anyway, threatening or didn't look.
15: No, oh no, 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 no! I feel like they're not really. They're yeah, yeah. Did,
6: did he animals. just go away in his own time or what?
15: He did. He came quite close, took a good look at us, and um, then went down, back down, dived down. But he came a few times uh, towards the boat, you know, and. Maybe he was looking for a sleep, I don't know, yeah, I, should, I should say.
6: You wouldn't be in to get in and go swimming with him, but at the same time, he didn't feel frightened by him, like.
15: I would say there'd be no problem swimming with him, I would imagine. I know, I don't think they would be um anyway aggressive.
6: Yeah, yeah. I did.
15: wouldn't think so. I, yeah. I never knew that they were aggressive.
6: Unless threatened, I suppose. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, like I wouldn't like to come close to them tusks, do you know what I mean?
15: Yeah, and uh, he has a how, pretty how big, big boat, are they, so John? He, when you're, you want
6: when you're close <laughs> enough. Like are they four or five or six inches long?
15: They're they are well, they're six inches long anyway, at least Crikey. at least six inches long, yeah. But yeah. he has a pretty big mouth as well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't want to <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
8: Yeah, he's a
6: he's a beautiful creature. He's always oh,
15: beautiful,
6: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gorgeous yeah. I mean hopefully he's gonna head back up north now, because he's in water that's way too warm from him for him.
15: Yeah, but, you know, he must be scouting out something, He's probably looking for food, you know, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. It's amazing how that's, how they pick, he picks one place and comes in and then takes, takes off again. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How yeah. It's amazing.
6: Incredible, yeah, incredible, incredible creature, yeah. fabulous creature. And the, the more yeah. videos, and the closer people are, there's a brilliant video I saw on Instagram this morning of a family, and like he, he can't have been more than ten foot, fifteen foot away from the boat, and they got him. They got him on video in lovely calm water. Beautiful yeah. creature, beautiful creature. But,
15: yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, I was on th- calm there on Sunday night too. I yeah. mean, the Macro
6: situation is bad, is it?
15: Ah, uh, it's, it's a disaster, PJ. It's a, there are guys now down Carmack have boats, and they don't even bother go out now anymore. It's a total disaster. It's, it's very sad, really. Yeah. Because you're in the summer, you know, it's great there to get a few mackerel and bring him in and give them to the neighbors. And oh, yeah. as you say, a fresh mackerel, oh. absolutely beautiful. And uh, I discovered a fantastic way of cooking them there a few, a few years ago. Oh. You know, you um, heat up the pan red hot with a bit of salt and pepper on the fleshy side of the mackerel. Right. No oil, no butter, nothing. Snap down the the meaty side on the pan and leave them there for about two or three minutes and it seals in the the flavour absolutely fantastic and then turn it over for a few minutes and but I'm, no. I'm afraid
6: I, I I'm to I'm, I'm so tempted don't get my hands in a couple of my hands for this evening have you
15: the they're beautiful. They're region. gorgeous. They're,
6: They're gorgeous. John, thanks very much. Father John Collins um, from, from Court Mac. Yeah, I'm, I'll tell you about mackerel in a minute. It's mackerel off the barbecue. Now there's the thing. Gorgeous. Michael Scully is from Clannock Kilty Distillery. Well, he has been looking for a place to sleep. And did he come on to one of your boats? Michael, good morning.
9: Good morning, Peter. How are you? Yeah, so we, um, yeah, I think... The first we saw Wally was in a cove outside Kanakilty kind of and he, um, one of the, one of our neighbors with a boat, he actually went looking for it yesterday morning and his boat had disappeared. It was an old timber fishing boat and it appears that Wally tried to get on board it in the middle of the night and actually sank it. Now that's a good news story because they managed to, um, to, to, surface the boat again and they've, um, and they've got it back onto dry land. But in the meantime, he, um, yeah, he, he, he climbed onto our boat, which I'm is, just looking at the video here now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's um, yeah, so he, he, he and he, he spent most of um, most of yesterday afternoon and all of last night sleeping on the boat. He'd hop off once or twice just for a little swim and uh, <laughs> climb back on board again, so he seems to be very happy there. It's a big white <laughs>
6: boy so taking his
9: weight. He's a beautiful creature, but like he is he is a heavy lad to be sitting in that small boat. He is, yeah, he is. We went out, um. We went out uh, by boat yesterday with, with a friend's boat, just to check on, on, on our boat. And um, he's the size of a, of a medium-sized bull. Actually, he's huge. He's probably running up to a ton weight. Wow! Um, quite. I wouldn't like to get too close to him, I we, we, we stayed back and we respect his space. Yeah. But um, with those tusks, you wouldn't want to no. be. Um, certainly, wouldn't want to be swimming next to him. In my opinion, he's. Um, yeah, yeah, but but we do respect him and respect his his yeah. right to um, to enjoy our locality. And, to, yeah. um, and chances to are he'll probably move them. on
6: again, like he has been doing around the place.
9: Yeah, it's possible. We use our boat. The reason we use this boat is to harvest rock samphire, which is one of the botanicals for our staterly year. Yes, this goes into our minky gin. And this is the week we were planning to harvest it, so we're actually going to leave the boat there for the whole week. Uh, we're not going to move it, just in case he. He swims off and decides to come back, seemingly they're um, they're territorial and they're, they're, they, they, they can't stay for up to a week in one location, so yeah. just to give him the opportunity to rest, we're going to leave it untouched and give him a chance to come back and and, yeah. and,
6: and sleep in peace there's something actually very calming about your video watching it
9: okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't well, we don't we, we don't go too close, and we would ask that other people don't go too no, close no, too. no 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 You have a good yeah, distance but, but yeah.
6: Yes, yeah, and he doesn't even seem to whether he knows you're there or not, he doesn't care
9: he doesn't seem to care, no, he, <laughs> he saw us yesterday and he just opened one eye and gave half a wink and just went back to sleep again <laughs> So um, I think a bit, he's, it's a bit like, he's a bit interest. like me on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> listen, yeah, we've listen, got, we've got a big fat Labrador um, and he's a little bit like our Labrador as well.
6: Uh, listen, Michael, that's a beautiful film that you have up of him. And he's just a gorgeous creature. And it's great that he's come to live in our waters for a little while. Michael Scully from Planet Kilty Distillery and continue the great work you're doing down there. Thanks, PJ. Thank you so much. Great, great quality of stuff coming out of Clonacilty Distillery. Wally is in West Cork, where around the courtmac Clan, that general area, we're not mentioning exactly where. Because there's people out there would do the poor devil harm, do you know? Oh, there are. have no doubt about it. He's such a stunning creature. He's a beauty. 1850 715 996. Caller says, Wally... Heard that Fungi was gone and knew it was his time to shine. Yeah. 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 I'm still laughing at Frank from last week who said he sounded a bit like this. Frank wasn't wrong. Yeah. What? <clears throat> mention? Are we going to mention e- Eamon? No, hold on. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Corks
4: 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. I-E. <laughs>
13: So are you happy now, Ross? The heat and the sunshine is gone and the rain that you love so much is back. I was standing out in the rain yesterday. Kissing in the rain. Looking up at the heavens. Oh, my God, I have no idea how good this is. <laughs> oh, a bit just went to my eyeball. <laughs> we call you Rain Man then.
14: do rain-, uh, rain-, rain Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tom
6: Cruise, your rain man. <laughs> hey, listen. You're
13: more like Tom Cruise liner.
4: <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city, a long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at noldc.com. Corks 96 FM. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96, 96, 96 On Courts
6: 96 FM. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter in the last couple of days. It was a thread of a picture of an octopus on sale in a fish shop and it had been reduced to 36 pence or 36 cents or something and it was a thread of people who were outraged and that's a by the by in itself but it prompted uh, Kate Ryan to tweet that some ingredients cross over into a home kitchen but no one has a clue how to cook it and there's some fabulous food out there particularly seafood, and you're right, Kate, we've no idea how how to cook it. And that adds to food waste, doesn't it? Good morning.
3: Good morning, PJ. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And I think there's a, sometimes there's a bit too much of a rush, I think, for supermarkets to jump on a trend that is obviously kind of coming up through restaurants. And certainly octopus has been kind of one of those uh, food trends of the summer, really, uh where you've been seeing it everywhere. Um it's kind of one of those fish that happens to kind of grill very well over a fire. Um and people have kind of cooked it very well in certain restaurants. But the problem is is that in a home kitchen, um, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that would know what to do with an octopus or how to cook it well. And it is kind of one of those fish that, you know, or one of those sea creatures, I suppose they should say. They can be quite difficult to to cook right. So you have to really know what you're doing, first of all, before you buy it, um, and then there is kind of a chance that you kind of ruin it then mm. at home when you are cooking it.
6: Which but is then, why, the, here comes the problem. You have this yeah. creature on sale for to cook for, for, for 36 pence. It, its value is clearly more than that, but because yeah. the supermarket bought into a trend, it can't mm. sell it.
3: Exactly, yeah, exactly. It's gone too fast, too quick into the trend um and i just kind of felt like you know what food waste is a is a topic for me that i kind of feel really passionately about um and um i think a lot of it for me anyway and one of the things that came out in the thread uh responses to my original tweet was that it does come down to a lack of education around um and basic knowledge on on cooking in, at home this octopus was kind of like you know one example of how food waste happens in the home but it's across a lot of things you know there's a huge amount of food waste that kind of happens across the food chain uh, i suppose what we're most in contact with is how often we throw away food in our home. Um, So I think the octopus was kind of like, you know, we really don't need this, you know, uh, Mm. adding to the problem. You know, And I think uh, as well with all the recent news has come out about the impact on climate change and so forth, you know, food waste is very much a part of that argument as well.
6: Well, it's funny, it's only in the last while uh, uh, where I live, we got the separate bin for the food waste. So we've had to start using the caddies. And the little small bags and all that. And to frighten you, we've actually consciously in the last 12 months since we got it, realised A, that's an awful lot of waste, and B, tried to reduce it by actually preparing less food.
3: Yeah, there's there's several things I suppose that we can do along the way. Like one is um, being conscious of how much food you're preparing. The other is kind of storing and making use of leftovers. I think we're all conscious of saying... I'll put that in a piece of tupperware, stick it in the fridge, and I'll have it for lunch tomorrow, and then completely forgetting about it. Yeah. You know, five days later, it ends up in the bin anyway. But also, as well, there's kind of in the preparation of things, like through just, you know, my work as a food writer, I happen to know a lot of chefs, but they, they, chefs are very money conscious when they're working in restaurants because every scrap is money. So they're actually great people to talk to in terms of just really simple tips on how to reduce food waste in the home. And one friend, chef friend of mine in particular, she has a like a Ziploc bag that she keeps in the freezer and any kind of odds and ends of vegetables that she's preparing, whether that's carrot skins or onion skins or, you know, any kind of offcuts like that, uh, bits of, you know, um, lemon and things like this. She puts into this Ziploc bag, which goes into the freezer and you can put herbs and things like that into as well. And then every sort of, whenever that bag is full, she tips that into a large pot, adds water, boils it away. And that's her veg stock, which then we can make sauces with, soups with, stocks with making risottos and things like this or cooking up rice with. So it's not, it has a secondary use, you yeah. know? So yeah. there's very, very, very simple things that we can do. And obviously, you have a candy there, PJ, and that probably gets taken away. But, you know, it's very simple to turn. If you have a small garden, you can turn that food waste into compost that will then go into your garden that will then generate more crops as well for you using in your home. So this is what we talk about, a circular system or a zero-waste system. This is basically what we're talking about is how can we use everything to its, uh, to its full potential, find a secondary use for things, and then composting as well to produce more food is where you kind of really complete that circle.
6: Yeah, because what's waste to you is useful to somebody.
3: Absolutely. And there's a, a chef in the UK who is kind of like a pioneer, I suppose, of the zero waste food movement, who created a restaurant called Silo. And he, he wrote a book there. He published a book a couple of years ago. And he has this great quote in the book that says, in nature, there's no such thing as waste. But humans create waste all the time. So it's kind of look into nature, I suppose, to try and figure out, like, how can we find ways to reduce waste or eradicate waste altogether? And when you kind of let that kind of sink in, that in nature there is no waste, nature finds a use for everything, yeah. then you kind of, that when you turn that mirror back on yourself, then you kind of think, wow, actually, there's lots of ways I can find to reduce waste, not just in food, but across the board.
6: Yeah. Kate, good to talk to you. Um, we all do have to, I suppose, in the wake particularly of that UN report yesterday, we're, we're all going to start have, have to start taking a look at the stuff that we waste and what we might do with it alternatively. And I think that's a good way to start that kind of a conversation. Thank you very much, Kate Ryan of I, I've I've eaten octopus. I don't like it. I, I wouldn't buy it because I don't like it, and I wouldn't know. I don't think we'd have a clue how to cook it. But I mentioned to you mackerel a while ago, and you can do mackerel on a barbecue. I was down a few years ago. I used to for a number of years, and look, there's no gigs at the moment. But I used to have the incredible pleasure of going down for a couple of years down to Kelly's Caravan Park in Gary They've that's such an established caravan park now, they have a little residence association down there. I kid you not, and in the summertime. They used to do an event where they'd have a, a, a big barbecue and games for the kids and a bit of face painting. And I was lucky enough to be invited to be their DJ a couple of times. And it is one of the best nights I've ever had. Just fabulous night up on the side of a lorry blasting party music out to the, the crowd down in, in Kelly's. But it's a long way of telling you that one particular night we were down there just a little bit late just a small little bit late and there wasn't a ounce of food, not a morsel of food left. And we thought, right, we're still peckish and then this incredible smell started to waft over from the other side of the park. A couple of lads had gone out in a little boat and they'd got some mackerel. This thing was so, it was still wriggling and they got mackerel and they barbecued it. And my God almighty lads, barbecued mackerel. You have not lived Oh, sweet Lord, it's beautiful. Speaking again of food, and staying with this, I spotted this in the paper. I heard this on an early morning radio program that I listened to, and I went looking for it when I came into work. Apparently the word curry is racist now. Did you know that? Yeah, the word curry is, is racist. This is according to a food blogger in America called Shaheti Banzal. In California, wouldn't you know it's California uh, Says that the word curry Needs to be cancelled uh, It's Well, subsequently she expanded it and that. said Well no, actually it's about ending its use By people who don't know what it means Because curry shouldn't be all you think about When you think about South Asian food So we think of Chinese curry and Indian curry And Indonesian curry 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 is an old word and I'm wondering that this person's a food blogger and the origin of the word curry is as simple as the nose in your face it's a Tamil word for sauce the original word was curry and it kind of got changed over the years into curry so it just means sauce sauce
8: you really have
6: to wonder if people have nothing else to bother them.
8: Can we just talk?
2: The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With
4: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Cmig.ie. It's time to vote. It's time to vote. In the Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards.
2: Go to 96fm.ie Check out the shortlists for all categories and vote for your favourite
4: The best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths and more with a 12-month guarantee backed by Borgut Energy
2: Only on Cork's 96fm
6: I gave this a very quick mention at the end of the programme yesterday probably a bit too quick um, so I'll do it again The nice people at Griffin's Garden Centre are having their very final warehouse clearance sale this Wednesday, the 11th of August. As we know, uh, the the Griffins family have gotten out of the business. We hope that the garden centre will continue uh, under new ownership and new management. But on Wednesday, they're having their final warehouse clearance sale. Uh, down at Griffins, between 9 and 6, down in Dripsy, and all proceeds will be donated to three charities, the Cork Penny Dinners, Cork Simon and Pieta House, and they invite everyone to uh, join them on the day. Unfortunately, the restaurant uh, will not be open, which is a pity, but they're there with the warehouse. I presume everything that they have is for sale, and all proceeds donated to Cork Penny Dinners, Cork Simon and Pieta House, and we talked earlier in the year with the Griffin's family when they decided to retire from the business after so many years of just running a beautiful, beautiful business down there in in um, in Dripsy. And we wish them well in their retirement. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I look forward to seeing this. Actually, it's an unusual concept for a comedy, to say the least, um, about cancer and having cancer. It's not something you'd find fun in, which is part of the reason why you'd love to see it. But it's winning awards. Ruth Meehan, good morning to you. Good morning. Tell me the story of this.
5: But, well, it's actually a dramedy. Um, so That's
6: because... a new term on me, by the way. What's a dramedy?
5: Um, It's a drama and a comedy and so really it's a story which is about a stand-up comedian uh, who when we meet her is in the middle of an existential crisis and um, has really lost the will to live and it's actually a cancer diagnosis that introduces her to four very dynamic different women from all walks of Irish life that really challenge her desire to die and help her find the will to live. So it's It's very um, heavy subject matter on one hand, but she is uh, an irreverent and funny and very real character. Um, So that's a very quick synopsis of the storyline.
6: It's based on a best-selling book.
5: Yeah, what it is was, um, actually, um, I picked up Anne Gildee's book, I've Got Cancer, What's Your Excuse? Um, About Probably a year after I lost my own sister to cancer, and then I also lost a very dear friend. So... um, I had very, you know, first-hand uh, experience of the loss and the grief, and also the ways in which uh, those kind of very, very uh, difficult and life-changing um, experiences can open you up to life. And I came across Anne's book, and I had been in college with her, and she had a most um, incredible, irreverent, funny, and honest account, and of her experience, and. Um, my own sister had a really keen sense of humour and very dark, actually, and she was great fun. And I had, I just felt in some way the tone of it uh, connected me to her. And I was at the time trying to write a film with another woman, uh, Jean Basley, and I, I contacted Jean and Anne, and I said to Jean, you know, maybe we could option Anne's book. And it's not really the story of Anne. It's Anne's, Anne was a, is a comedian. She was part of the Lulas and it was really more to use it as inspiration and then create the story around that and then between the three of us, the story kind of grew and we got great um, support from Screen Ireland um, and that's how it, how it developed. It's funny
6: that you should say, uh, you know right that, that you should find a successful book in uh, a successful concept there because I guess when people are dealing with something like cancer and I know I lost a Dear friend, to it a number of years back, but uh, I remember meeting him not long before uh, he he passed away, and we had lunch together, and we had incredible laugh, and the jokes he was making about his own fate in life.
8: Mm.
6: You know, the guy had me in stitches, and yeah. I'm thinking, like that's it's strange, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
5: I mean, there's huge amount of fear and shock and also every kind of experience that understandably people want to hold at bay. But what interested me um, is the way in which sometimes these really difficult circumstances connect you to other people and to life. And so even though it's dealing with these subjects, there's a lot of fun in the film. There's a lot of uh, the connection between the women. And I guess we've all had that experience where the way in which other people um, come into your life and can support you or bonds that you have—they are the difference between, yeah. uh, you know, they're just the world difference. Um, and I wanted to capture some of that. And 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 there's, you know, there's great fear and, um, you know, grief in the film, but there's great crack and yeah. a great love. I'd like to think.
6: Yeah. And who's in it?
5: The amazing Gemily adevro is the main uh, character. She plays Kate, and then there's a fantastic supporting cast of Siobhan uh, Cullen. Derva Crotty, Barbara Brennan, Karen Egan and then Tom Von Lawler is oh. the most unassuming love interest and he's fantastic Ninja like <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's Nidge yeah he's just so sweet I deliberately cast him against life and he was just wonderful in it yeah. um,
6: He's a marvellous actor there's, there's, there's so much more to him, Ninja was a great character but there's so much more to Tom than Nidge anyway
5: Oh, and then there's the wonderful Kevin McKern, uh, who, you know, is a comedian, but he's, he's a brother in this. And then a whole host of comedians who are, who are also in, in, in the film as her kind of cohort. Where can we get to see it? Well, it's going to be on in, uh, nationwide and in Cork uh, and all the cinemas, really, from Friday the 20th. Um, and yeah, I'd love to encourage people to go and see it and hopefully enjoy it.
6: All right. Well, good good luck with it. I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. Ruth Mehan uh, put together the Bright Side, based on a novel. It's a. It sounds like a marvelous film about friendship and love, and cancer and humor, and life in general, and one of these kind of uh, coming together films that you 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 kind of you know these kind of films that come on the telly or you see them and go, okay, what's that about? That looks better, oh, look at that! That lovely. A nice film. Sounds like a great movie. 1850 We look forward to it. Um, just on vaccines for children, a uh, number of WhatsApp messages to us this morning at 83 396 96 96. number of people saying, hope that the government allows, this is a good point, vaccine appointments to be grouped together for kids from the same family so that you won't have to organise transport, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera for different kids on different days. And that's a very good point. Like, supposing you have a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old, and if they don't all get appointments together, you've got to go with them every time. So you could be with the 12-year-old on a Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock, you could be with the 14-year-old on a Wednesday afternoon at 4 o'clock, and the other one on Friday morning it happens to be driven ragged by the end of the week. Good idea, good, 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 very good idea. Maybe we get to ask somebody that before the the year's end. The Cork Kai Poo says, or the week's end rather. The Cork Kai Poo says, I will find out who you are, I know I will. Um, you ordered Fungi the Dolphin from Wish.com and got Wally the one. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, and then Eugene says, and he's right. And you'll still find this on Gold and other uh, channels like that. Dad's Army. It's one of those enduring, beautiful comedies from, from donkeys years ago. It's like it's way too old, but still gorgeous. Wally is the head of the captain from Dad's Army, Captain Mannerin. <laughs> well, put a pair of glasses on him and he just might be.
8: Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With
4: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. (laughs) Cmig.ie. Corks 96FM and Cork City Council invite you to take an online adventure.
8: Your adventure starts today.
4: Explore many of Cork's beautiful buildings at corkheritageopenday.ie. On Saturday, August 14th, hear from owners and local historians and learn about Cork's built heritage through interviews, photography, video and archival footage. Click corkheritageopenday.ie and follow them online for more.
8: Your just starts today.
4: Cork Heritage Open Day, August 14th, with Cork City Council, The Heritage Council, The Echo, and Cork's 96FM. should not
6: forget, today is the 50th birthday of Roy Keane. We'd be not forgiven for saying it. And yesterday was our birthday, officially, here at 96FM. Now, those of us who are here from day one would dispute that and say that our original birthday was the 3rd of August, but yesterday was our official birthday... We were 32 yesterday. Corks 96 FM was 32 yesterday. Eighteen fifty-seven-one-five-nine-nine-six. Let us turn our attention finally today to Munster Technological University, who have been uh, awarded quite a sum of money to provide 830 odd places across a range of courses, specific ones. This is called the Springboard Project. Michael Loftus is the Vice President for External Affairs at MTU. Michael, good morning to you. Good
1: morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on this morning.
6: Delighted. This this looks interesting. What is it?
1: Yeah, so we've uh, 28 courses designed in direct response to industry need, uh, leading either to uh, very good employment prospects or career progression. Uh Free for the unemployed, 90% subsidized for those in employment. So uh, either zero fees apply or very modest fees in the region of 50 to 100 euros. Wide range of courses, short courses, all the way through to postgraduate offerings and available from MTU in Cork and MTU in Kerry. Who's eligible? Uh, basically, everybody, PJ. Everybody who's looking to uh, create. No employment prospects for themselves or create career progression prospects for themselves uh, all eligible the only thing that changes is is the fee but as it's 90 percent subsidized the, the fee is very modest in regardless and what form will these courses
6: take i mean would they be full-time part-time long short uh, a complete mix uh,
1: so options covered include part-time and full-time delivery there's online and in-class delivery options available um Obviously, with COVID, uh, there's some flexibility built into the process. Uh, our target is to do as much as we can on campus over the uh, coming period. But if things go against us, we have the opportunity to go online because we have a very strong uh, online environment. There's also a, what we call a blended delivery option, where there's a mix of some activities on campus and some Online, So all those details are are fully set out for each individual course in springboardcourses.ie. Give me an idea of the kind of courses involved. So lots of choice here. Cloud computing, data science and analytics, quantity surveying. So the IT industry, the building industry, pharmacy management, the uh, sustainable agriculture, really interesting one, PJ, in light of, uh, you know, what's happening around the world. How do we manage our farms? Yeah and the agriculture industry in a way that's more sustainable. Automation and control, supply chain, manufacturing, uh, building information, uh, modelling. So a lot a lot of industry specific. And then if you look at some ones that cut across industry, leadership and transformational change. How do we prepare the next generation of managers and leaders in organisations to uh, identify new opportunities for the businesses in which they work and to capitalise on them? So a really good Uh, and wide-ranging selection. There's also culinary skills in there, PJ, and that's a particularly interesting one. The whole tourism and hospitality sector has taken a pounding during COVID. There are lots of openings and opportunities there now, so we've courses available for people who are interested in that sector.
6: Are there entry qualifications?
1: Do you have to have a certain level of education to get in? It it will vary by course. Um, So for the postgraduate uh, courses, you'll need uh, a degree. But for the other courses, the entry requirements are very, very basic. Um, So uh, probably a Leaving Cert in most uh, cases, but not much required beyond that. Uh, Recognition of prior learning can apply as well, PJ, where people have done courses that are relevant in times past. They can get recognition for those. Yeah,
6: I'm thinking of people, for example, who've been in a particular line of work for, for quite a long time, but they'd never actually gotten any qualifications. Like, that that's what you're... You'd be able to get into something based on your life experience, based on your work
1: experience. Absolutely, and the recognition of prior learning process is specifically there to go off and evaluate what people have learned, either in the workplace or in training courses or in higher education or in whatever setting they've been to, to put an academic value on that and then to determine if that meets the criteria or not. So there's a process in place. This whole process, a very good government initiative, is really about creating opportunities for people at a time when opportunities are needed. And to find out more, what do people have to do? Uh, visit the website www.springboardcourses.ie. You can go along and search by... Uh, area of interest to yourself, you can search by college you can see the different uh, courses, at uh, whether they're level 6, level 7, level 8, level 9, sort of short courses all the way through to the postgraduate courses. You can see what the entry requirements are. You can see what the demands are in, term of, in terms of time online, in person and so on. And from those details, then you'll be in a good position to make an informed choice. Lastly
6: and briefly, Michael, how is MTU shaping up for the new term in terms of people going back post-pandemic or trying to ease back into normal student life?
1: Yeah so uh, our target is very much to deliver in-person learning to the greatest extent possible in the coming academic year. All of this obviously subject to public health advice and ensuring that the health and well-being of our students and staff members are prioritized. What I uh, anticipate PJ is that uh, practical activities and small group activities we'll certainly be able to deliver in person. Larger lecture activities may be more challenging So, depending on how well the vaccines are working and so on and so forth, we will have, uh, our our target will be in-person learning and in-person delivery, and our fallback will be to go to a blend, whereby we do uh, the smaller group activities on campus and the larger activities uh, delivered online until such time as it's safe for people to come fully on campus. Here's hoping, here's hoping (laughs) Um, that that, that everything
6: works out. Do students, just uh, for the right, do students mind the remote side of things or
1: would they like much prefer to get back It's it's it's, it's it's a really interesting question. We've surveyed our students, uh, PJ, and quite a large number actually found the online environment to be advantageous and quite a significant number also found it to present significant challenges, particularly from a, a social perspective, from a group learning perspective, uh, the group dynamic perspective. So, um, Pros and cons to both options. I think there are learnings there for the future. Um, and I, I think some sort of blended approach in the future is, would certainly be well worth exploring because uh, the online environment gives the opportunity to reach students in their home locations, regardless of whether that's in uh, a rural location far away from the college or a city location closer to the college. So from that perspective... Um, there are opportunities certainly to be explored uh, with some sort of blended approach, I would say, going forward.
6: Okay, it's a a big adventure that we never thought we'd have. Uh, The setting up of MTU is a huge adventure and a huge success to date. But this idea that we'd be blending our learning into two or three different types, certainly we never expected to be having that particular adventure. Uh, at the time we are but that's the springboard courses MTU a springboard courses loads of different courses loads of different opportunities and the fees covered to a huge extent off you go and give it a go uh, Antoinette was saying with regard to the vaccine appointments for the youngsters I got my twins appointments for Wednesday one is at quarter past 11 the second is 20 past 11 so in her experience at least they are putting children together from the one family, which is no bad thing because that's what we were getting during the morning was lots of WhatsApps wondering, would that be happening? In terms of the photo ID, uh, which could be a problem, Uh, Kevin says, to be fair, a lot of 12 to 15-year-olds won't have photo ID, especially with so many families not going abroad. Passports for that age group could have lapsed as well. Wouldn't a birth cert Coupled with the parent's ID and/or lapsed passport be enough. I think Doctor John Sheehan was saying earlier on that anyway, an under sixteen-year-old or they have to go with a parent anyway. So bring the birth cert and identify yourself, and maybe a public service card, and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. That's it for today. The program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe, and we'll see you tomorrow just after nine.